You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 458. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 4E in a Hilton Hotel in Omaha, Nebraska. Today's show is recorded on the 27th of January, episode, Indonesian investigators focus on an auto throttle and the pilot response in this month's fatal crash of a Boeing 737. A 737 freighter is damaged in a hard landing in England. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Trade tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 458 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He is an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 10-10 wins in New York City. Welcome to the AR Line. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining me today from her lakeside studio in South... Doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Staff. Hey, Captain Jeff. Interesting to note I had a friend visiting over the weekend who was very familiar with the term kakalaki for both North and South Carolina. So. Oh, cool. No. But anyway, great to be here. Good to see you both and looking forward to a great show. I am looking forward to it as well. Thank you, Staff. And let's go now to... The person, I'm thinking, how do I transition here? Uh, from his studio in the English countryside, professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London, it's Captain Nick. Well, hi there, Jeff. Hi, Steph. Lovely to be back on the show. Can't wait. Uh, I've read through the notes. It's going to be a really good one tonight. Looking forward to it. Me too. All right. Well, without further ado, let's get going on the news. Stand by for news. Okay, the first item in our news segment is from WallStreetJournal.com. Indonesia plane crash probe centers on engine control problems. The data, the data in- indicates <laughs> the data indicates the so-called auto throttle system, which automatically adjusts fuel flow and thrust to maintain the path set by pilots, wasn't operating properly on one engine at some point during the Boeing 737-500's climb away from the nation's capital, Jakarta. On January 9, according to some of the people familiar with the matter, instead of shutting off the system, they said the flight data recorder indicates pilots tried to get the stuck throttle to function. 
Such engine control malfunctions can create significant differences in power between engines, making a twin-engine jet harder to control, and it could potentially distract pilots from maintaining a safe flight. Okay. Twin-engine aircraft such as the 737 are designed to fly safely on a single engine. I don't know why they're talking about now single engine because we're just talking about an autothrottle. Anyway, I'm sorry. I should just read the Wall Street Journal article. Twin-engine aircraft such as the 737 are designed to fly safely on single engine and pilots are trained to do that in various situations. But large differences in thrust between engines, according to pilots and safety experts, require swift pilot recognition of the problem, which would ideally be followed by quick responses and manual commands. Haryo Satmiko, deputy head of Indonesia's National Transportation Safety Committee, confirmed the probe is looking into an autothrottle problem. He said investigators may obtain specific information about the pilot's handling of the autothrottle after listening to the cockpit voice recorder, which authorities are trying to retrieve from the crash site. That device, the plane's second black box, could shed more light on what pilots were saying on the flight deck as they responded to the malfunction. Uh, Let's see. Those familiar with the details of the probe, along with safety experts tracking it, said it was too early to draw definitive conclusions about why two experienced pilots lost control of the jet or what other factors may have contributed to the crash. Information from the flight data recorder is under further analysis, while pilot records and maintenance files are being examined. Investigators haven't detailed the primary focus of their probe, though they they say that both engines were putting out power when the jet hit the water, killing all 62 on board. They also have said the location of debris indicates the plane was intact when it hit the water. Uh, So it goes on in this article to talk about the flight and uh, other information I think that we've already discussed on the show. But so uh, apparently there was uh, on previous flights, there were um, a couple of, of write-ups, individual write-ups on different flights uh, about the auto throttle system. And if that is indeed what happened here, I, I, I don't, it's hard for me to, well, again, I, I hate to say anything because it's all speculation, but if the auto throttles don't work properly, then just shut the auto throttles off. The airplane flies just fine without auto throttles. There are a lot of airplanes out there today flying without auto throttle systems. So um, I hope they didn't get so distracted or focused on the uh, system. They let the uh, airplane get away from them and and, uh, crash, but uh, they tend to be pointing in that direction. What do you guys think? Yeah, I I wish I knew a bit more about the 737 systems, but uh, if uh, if I'm guessing correctly, um, the throttles would move in response to the auto throttle, uh, which mm-hmm. would generate the correct response in the um, the FADAC or the uh, MECU or whatever fuel control system there is uh, on, this, on these engines. Um, so I'm just a bit bemused as to why, particularly when you have got uh, you can see the throttles move in response to what the auto throttle is doing. You can detect the problem. I would be very surprised that they, if they got uncommanded uh, auto throttle movement, that there wasn't an associated warning with it. I'm also a bit surprised that the auto throttle didn't uh, turn itself off because normally when an auto throttle does something unusual, it's detected by whatever fault system there is uh, in the uh, system, and it will turn itself off. Um, So, yeah, I think you're probably right, Jeff. Uh, I think they may have got um, 
over um, over interested in trying to solve a problem uh, and weren't paying enough attention to what the airplane was doing. Uh, you know, this kind of situation, it's very important for the pilot flying to concentrate on his job uh, and who, whoever's trying to fault find the issue uh it just to you know um do their thing almost independently right. but you mustn't both get involved in trying to fix what is effectively if it's just an order pro- order throttle fault as you mm-hmm. said is a relatively minor problem i suspect on the 757 500 uh is is, is the first of the new generation of uh, 737 jets i don't know for sure because i've never flown that airplane uh, but i would imagine it's pro- it might be a fade style system but it may be a cruder you know older style or older technology version of the auto throttles uh, but either way as you said that's the main thing regardless of how fancy the system is and how many you know warnings it gives you and the things it does automatically if it just dis- detects a disparity between the two throttles or whatever uh, somebody always has to be flying the airplane minding the store you know aviate navigate communicate and that includes hey look you know joe you have the airplane, um, you know, just maintain control of the airplane. I'm going to troubleshoot this problem. And then I'm going to let you know when I'm manipulating the throttles and everything else or turning the auto throttles off or advancing the throttle on this engine. I'm going to, you know, communicate with you so you understand what's going on and then you can continue to fly the airplane safely. But it sounds to me, I don't know, maybe that they were both just completely focused on this, this issue and, you know, weren't minding the store, so to speak. Yeah, we'll we'll know more when we get the voice recorders up. Yeah, I was just be, about to say the same. Yep, that is, I hope really hope actually that they find that discussing and thinking about and what they were doing. Yeah, but, but yeah. I just when I when I heard that it had something to do with the auto throttle system, I thought just turn the darn thing off and fly the airplane. Click, write click, it up. Let click, maintenance click. fix it. Isn't that Level the uh, L nav V nav? Hmm? Click click uh, boom. Click click, hmm? click, 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 click. Yeah, exactly. That's the second click, uh, no, uh, mm-hmm. second clicks on the click, 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 click. Just, you know. Although uh, I can't find it right now, but it, there was a suggestion in this write up that the faults that uh, previous pilots had may not have been written up. They oh. may have experienced oh. problems, but not put them in the tech log. Oh, there's that's um, no good. You got to let people know. Exactly. Yes. If it's, you uh, know, in medicine, we say if it's, if you don't write it down, it, didn't you didn't do it or it didn't happen but doesn't mean that it's not important so gotta make sure it's written down i guess i need Mm -hmm. to get this overlay up here um looks like uh (laughs) once again i have brought us below the 50 percent level well Um, i can't find where i read (laughs) that now so no 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 that has nothing to do with what you're saying it has something to do (laughs) with uh our um Live audience member, I haul boxes. He says the ah. 500 is a 737 classic series. So I guess the 300, 400, ah. and 500, uh, and 200, I guess, uh, were the classic. Or I don't know if they call the 200 classic, but the 200 was basically the original one. Mm-hmm. And then the three through 500 classic. And then I guess the 600 series uh, through 900 are the NGs. So. Based on that, I would imagine that the Dash 500 um, auto throttle system would be a pretty rudimentary uh, system. But anyway. Yeah. 
Mind you, sometimes the simpler the better. I found the paragraph uh, where it says pilots on a previous flight in the same jet experienced a similar autothrottle problem, according to one person briefed on the matter. But the discrepancy apparently wasn't written up as required in the jet's maintenance log. A spokeswoman from the airline declined to comment. Uh, but that's naughty. Uh, that is naughty. Because after all that log, um, you know, you may think you're saving the company uh, time and money by, you know, getting the service carrying on. Oh, it wasn't a serious snag. I won't write it up. But, of course, that, that log may be the only reference to a potential problem that the next captain sees. He comes on board. He takes a quick look at the tech log. Oh, no, absolutely no faults in the airplane. Nothing written up by the previous crime. Uh, pilots, uh, the jet must be good. Uh, whereas just that little hint that there might have been a problem might have, uh, you know, pre-warned them and they would have been ready for it. Right. Now, who's to know, you know, for sure what, you know, if that may have helped yeah. the situation or not, but, you know, it certainly couldn't hurt when there's something that is constantly being a problem for previous flights. It's nice to know as a commander, uh, well, everybody uh, in the cockpit uh, that, you know, this is a the system has been, you know, hiccuping a little bit here and there, and that's something we just have to keep in mind. You know, forewarned is for whatever. What's the saying? Something is forewarned is forgotten. Armed. No, that's armed. not it. Forearmed. <laughs> forearmed. <laughs> Four arms. I only have two. Oh well. My far. Yeah. An octopus has eight. Uh, yeah. Pardon the interruption. When we're recording the show live, the only person who can hear me is Captain Jeff. Now he's decided to include my audio here in the post-show edit. Lucky you. Enjoy. Uh, so, yeah. Well, hope. Uh, I think going back to that uh, cockpit voice recorder stuff, didn't they say that mm. they found like the enclosure for the for the? Yeah, there was something we did on the, the last show we were talking about. They had both of the um, boxes, but there was something uh, that. I guess the, um, the memory voice module recorder, or something. Yeah, the memory module was damaged, or there was part of mm -hmm. it that was damaged, and it was going to be more difficult and tricky to okay. get that information and that data. Well, I hope that they uh, either find it if they haven't found it, or if they have and it's damaged, that they'll be able to fix it enough to understand what they were saying on this flight because that's going to be critical. The experts are pretty good at extracting the data. I was going to say, it's pretty amazing what they've been able damaged. to do with previously very damaged yeah. data recorders. Oh, yeah. My lawyer has. Uh, you know, made me aware of that. Um, but we won't, we won't talk about that. All right. Uh, anything else to say on that one before we move on to the second yeah. night? No, I think, you know, little bits of information, but I think we'll still get more over time on this one for sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. Next one. Uh, this is from Simon Ratke's wonderful Aviation Herald website. Uh, accident, West Atlantic Boeing 737-400. So that would be one of the classics. At Exeter on January 19th, 2021, hard touchdown. A West Atlantic Boeing 737-400 freighter, registration Golf Juliet Mike Charlie Yankee, performing flight uh, 505L from East Midlands to Exeter. I'm saying that right, am I? Uh, Exeter? Yes, you are. Exeter. Uh, with uh, two crew, landed on uh, Exeter's <laughs> runway 26 at 2.34 local, I guess 2.34 in the morning but suffered a very hard touchdown. The aircraft rolled out with for, without further incident. No injuries are being reported. Uh, locals report a post-flight inspection found creases around the fuselage to the extent that Royal 
Oh, they shouldn't have a comma in there. To the extent that Royal Mail was unable to unload the mail. Um, on January 20th, 2021, the AAIB announced a team of inspectors are continuing to gather evidence on site at Exeter, Exeter Airport, where they are investigating an incident involving a cargo aircraft, which occurred yesterday, 19th of January. I got a couple little pictures of the creased fuselage skin, if you want to take a look at that. So, yeah, that's sure. pretty I think creased is a, a very gentle yes. term for this. It's a yeah. exceptionally damaged <laughs> Yeah, it's a little yeah. a little damagey. Uh, let's see. I'm going to zoom in a little bit to that. Can you guys see that? All right. Yeah, oh, I can see that. Okay, that's, that's the, the least of their worries. Okay, it's let's move on. Oh, like. yes. Ow. Ow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Creased is generous for that. That, that is yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, very very yeah. generous. Now I think the flap is supposed to look like that. So don't look at the flap. Just look at that <laughs> right. piece of fuselage that's broken. Um. I'm not sure what we're looking at there. A bunch of a bunch of pipes, <laughs> but I guess it's not normal. Whatever it is we're looking at here, I'm going to move on to the next one here. Clearly, that looks like where most of the damage occurred, and that's the uh, left wing root uh, area. Wow, so bad it it broke all the windows and and covered them up. Oh wait, no, that's afraid. <laughs> anyway, yeah. so yeah, a little bit of a. I, I'd definitely call that a. A hard landing. Hard landing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I wonder if that's going to fly again, that one. Something about good yeah. landings and great landings, the difference between yeah, the, the well, two. Yeah. yeah, it may have been a good landing, but not a great landing. Is that what not you're a great one. Yeah. <laughs> Aircraft not reusable. Yeah. Going to the scrap scrap heap. Mm -hmm. The weather um, just had some light rain. As I said, it was kind of in the middle of the night. 4,000 broken, 1,200 scattered. So the... You know, it wasn't low vis. I mean, low ceilings. Uh, the mm -hmm. visibility looked yep. uh, pretty decent. Um, just Wind some light two three zero at ten. Yeah, not not anything. Yeah, crazy. the winds don't don't look uh, outrageous at all. So yeah, I guess they just misjudged the flare or something. I don't know. Yeah. Oh well, it happens. Hopefully, it doesn't doesn't happen to any of us. All right, uh, moving on. The FA. Well, it won't happen to me. I got away with it. Oh, you did? I retired. Oh, yeah, before, yes, they, re before they... I retired before, before I had one of those. <laughs> before, oh, before you did that. Okay. I was going to yes, say, I thought you, exactly. you were telling us that you did, and you just retired before no, anybody no, discovered no, no, it. No, 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 <laughs> I did it and got away with it. No, no you don't think I'd broadcast that if it was true. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we are on the air, Nick, just to remind you. Yeah. Um, right. let's see. Next item. FAA requires fuel sealant inspections on some Boeing 737 MAX 9s. Oh, and the 737s getting a bit of a hit this I week. was going to say this is a mm. 737 episode here, but I think mm -hmm. this is going to be yeah. our last one, at least in the news. Um, the, and this is from travel and aviation.com. The federal aviation administration is proposing inspections of 25 Boeing 737 MAX 9s after determining that a fuel sealant was not applied during manufacturing. Ooh. The sealant in question is intended to act as a fuel barrier on blowout doors, says an FAA-proposed airworthiness directive released on 19 January. Application of sealant on the left wing and right wing leading edge outboard blowout door was missing during the airplane manufacturing process on some model 737-9 airplanes, the proposed order says. In the event of a substantial fuel leak from the wing box, missing sealant could result in an unintended drain path, allowing fuel to come into contact with the engine. Mm. 
That's serious. The result could be a large ground fire. In April of 2020, the Chicago-based airframer issued a service bulletin addressing the issue. Boeing says it recommended airlines address the issue within 12 months. So April of last year. So we're getting close to the end of that 12-month period. Uh, Quote uh, from Boeing says, we notified operators of this issue in April of 2020. At that time, we provided detailed instructions on where to inspect and how to apply the sealant if it's missing. We fully support the FAA's action to make our recommendations and instructions mandatory. Um, Let's see. It applies to 25 737 MAX 9s, including 14 registered in the USA. Manufacturing numbers show the U.S. registered jets are all in the fleet of United Airlines, according to Sirium Fleet's data. The remaining 11 jets are operated by COPA, six of them, Fly Dubai, three of them, Iceland Air, one, and Turkish Airlines, one. Um, they Boeing delivered these between April 2018 and February, February 2019. The agency is proposing that operators be required to complete actions detailed in Boeing Service Bulletin. More specifically, the FAA intends to require a fluid seal contact inspection and a detailed inspection for missing sealant on the blowout door and applying sealant if necessary. So there you go. If you happen to be listening to the show and uh, you have something to do with the maintenance on your 737s and you're one of the aforementioned airlines, well, get to it. You have, uh, what, a couple of months left? Three months. Okay, three months left. Two months. All right. And preferably sooner rather than later, please. We don't like leaking well, I mean, fuel. No. These aircraft. <laughs> oh, these are the 737 yeah. 9 9. Yeah. Or no, Max 9. It's a Max. So it's a Max. So it hasn't even been flying. I guess until. maybe the ones that were delivered um, earlier on in like 2018. When, when did they ground it? It wasn't, it hasn't been grounded since 2018, has it? No. Okay. So maybe some of these had, had been flying. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, they were definitely flying before oh, they okay. got grounded. Okay. Um, but see. they've been grounded for a year or so. Right. Um, hopefully they got fixed safe. in that time frame too. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering, especially <laughs> yeah, you, would think, they, you would think they would use avail themselves of that time on the ground to yeah take care of all this, You'd especially think. since the uh, well, they just released the airworthiness directive, but they've known about the problem and mm-hmm. notified the operators a since, year ago. Yeah, almost a year ago. Um, is is United one of the airlines that's got the seven thirty seven Maxes back up in the air or not? I don't. I know American is. American fine. does. Um, I, don't I don't think know, Southwest actually. is I yet. I don't think. I haven't heard that United does, but I don't okay. know for certain. Well, hopefully they'll they'll fix those fourteen that don't have the sealant. Hmm. Okay. Um, continuing on, it's not a seven thirty seven. This one. Uh, but it is a final report on a Swift ATR-72 uh, at Cologne on April 27th of last year. Rejected takeoff due to being aligned with runway edge lights. Okay, runway edge Oh, we talked about this one, didn't lights. we? Or Did something we? similar. I don't know. There was something similar. Or maybe it was – actually, I thought the one we talked about was – a landing issue, not a takeoff issue. Oh, that was a, or you talking about last week where the, in the crosswind landing and they took out mm-hmm. all the edge lights? No, there was another uh, one from a while back. Okay. I think I'm mixing up my. Okay. Well, landing, um, landing takeoff issues. It, we may have talked about this before. Let's see. When did it well, originally it happened, happen? Uh, June last year. So okay. we may have talked about it at the time. Yeah, we may have. Well, they have a final report on it now that just was released. Um, a Swift Air Avion de Transport Regional. ATR 72200, registration Echo Charlie India November Victor, performing flight 6992 
from Cologne to Sofia, Bulgaria, was accelerating for takeoff from Cologne when the crew rejected takeoff due to hitting several runway edge lights. Germany's BFU reported the crew did not realize they had lined up with the runway edge instead of the runway center line lights and hit several edge lights before rejecting the takeoff. The aircraft sustained minor damage. The occurrence was rated a serious incident and is being investigated by the BFU. Of course, that was uh, probably from the original report. Um, let me scroll down. I think that was some of the original narrative because what uh, Simon does with his website is he anytime that something's updated, he'll just add it to all of this. So I think that was probably something that was on the original narrative. So let me see. I'm scrolling here to find. Um, let's see. Here we go. On January 22nd of this year, the BFU released their final report, concluding the probable cause of the serious incident was uh, the crew confused the left runway edge marking and lighting of runway six of Cologne Bonn Airport with the center line, and therefore had aligned the airplane unnoticed with the wrong runway lighting for takeoff. So they thought they were lining it up with the center line lights of the runway. And now I'm thinking, yep. well, maybe it's one of these runways that just had the edge lights and not center line lights. But based on looking at the pictures that we've included here, which I'll show, I'll share here in a minute. Now, it had all three, yeah. Jeff. Uh, uh-huh. uh, they'd sort of uh, approach the runway beginning, um, having done a, a 180 uh, in a turn pad. So when they lined the airplane up, they were basically in the middle of what is effectively a very large piece of runway. Uh uh, but that's where the edge lights were. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Had they gone a bit further down the runway, they would have realized that uh, actually the, the reason they were in the middle of it because they were still looking at both sides of the turn pad plus the runway. Um, and the, from their position, the centerline lights looked sort of similar to the edge lights, uh, and they couldn't see the far edge lights very clearly because uh, they, they're saying that because of the angle of uh, that they were viewing those lights at it, they, they were a bit indistinct. I was looking at those pictures thinking, well, they've taken a picture from a very low position here, but perhaps their cockpit is quite low and it's not a big airplane, uh, the uh, AT-72. So, you know, they, they haven't got a great deal of elevation. It's not like the machine that I used to fly that was quite high or rig, you know, he's like 50 feet in the air. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you look down on this, you're kind of level uh, with the lights a bit. So I can understand there being a bit of uh, perhaps a bit of optical confusion there. Yeah, it kind of just looks like when they made that turn on the turn pad, they, it was a very tight turn. So mm-hmm. they didn't come back to the center line. No, I think in that's fact, what you were saying before. there was a they distraction kind of just, there. Mm-hmm. Do you recall reading that in the... Um, I do, yeah. Uh, I think that the, something kind of shifted when they were making that very tight 180-degree turn to realign. Well, distraction with, in the cockpit during the turn on the turn pad. Uh, yep, and something made something shifted and made a noise. It may have been like a like a piece of luggage or a flight kit or something, and that both distracted. Oh, it was a bag them. at the back of the cockpit, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. fell over. Yeah, yeah the bag fell down behind the seat of the captain. Right. Yeah. And uh, now uh, the picture that I have uh, that I'm sharing right now on the video, uh, bottom right-hand corner, as Steph was mentioning, uh, it has the uh, path of the airplane in blue. So they were going down the center of the runway initially, and then they kind of veered over to the right into the turn pad, and then they had the distraction, made a very tight turnaround, and then 
continuing the 180, 180 turn, align themselves with the left edge lights and not the center line lights. And they didn't think that they were doing anything wrong at that point. And they just started the uh, takeoff from here's a picture of what uh, they were likely looking at and thinking that they're on the center line lights. Remember that that those blue lights that we see in this picture are actually the um, the taxiway um, lights, edge lights, right? The blue lights. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and no, no, that that I think that marks the turn the pad. Turn, that's the, the turn pad too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the okay. edge lights of the runway are white. The mm-hmm. center lines white, which brings me to a point a little earlier on where it said uh, the British uh, Air Accident Investigation Bureau had released a safety recommendation to ICAO uh, because of a similar occurrence in the UK, saying uh, they recommended that ICAO initiate a process to develop within Annex, and they're talking about the uh, aerodrome design portion of uh, ICAO's documents, uh, that uh, a standard for runway edge lighting that would allow pilots to identify them specifically without reference to other lights uh, should be um, initiated. So the fact that the edge is uh, white lights and the center line is white lights and the other edge are white lights, uh, if you can see all three, it's easy to orientate yourself. But if you're only looking at part of that, not so. Not so easy. Now, I'd like to focus on the those blue lights that we see in this photo that I'm showing. Those aren't uh, the only time I've ever seen taxiway lights that are like on a center line are green, but the ones mm-hmm. that are blue are the edge. The edge. So okay. that's the edge of the turn pad. Right. So, so if you're looking back on the turn pad from their, their vantage point as they turn back around, mm-hmm. you can see where, it, like, if you look at the um, diagram where it has the aircraft there, mm-hmm. you can see how it's kind of curved like that and you can see the blue lights coming off. But the- looking at this photo right now, look, if this mm-hmm. is what I saw out the front of my airplane and I see these white lights thinking, okay, there's a center line, but why would, for some reason, it would like be throwing a flag that would be in a- my head. Like, why are the blue lights merging in with the, with the runway lights right there? Correct. Yeah. Mm, I guess they can pick up on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's what you would expect to see right there. Okay. Correct. All right. Well, hmm. I guess they, uh, no injuries, a little bit of damage to the airplane and a lot of damage to several of the runway edge lights. They were destroyed. Yeah. But I, th- I think they make a good point that uh, the, the crew were di- really didn't do much wrong. They obviously misinterpreted their position on the, uh, runway, but I think that was uh, there was a lot of mitigating circumstances. Much better if they hadn't done it, but uh, there you go. It wasn't completely their fault; just no. a large part of their fault. <laughs> well, I think still always someone's got to carry the can. Yeah, and uh, the crew are carrying, going to carry the can on this one. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think uh, it was. Uh, you know, a mistake that other pilots could have made as well and have done in similar circumstances. So, you know, if it's a problem of interpreting those lights, fix the lights. It's, mm-hmm. They're not exactly Make it unambiguous. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. All right. I can tell you, though, in my experience, that if, if you're flying or taxiing the airplane around at a place, especially if you're not familiar with all the taxiways and runways and everything else at night, and you're just relying completely on the the lighting system, it can be disorienting. I can think of one place in general 
That's very confusing. And that's Charlotte Douglas. I was about to say. On that ramp. How do you like Charlotte? <laughs> that ramp is horrible. The ramp is super confusing. I mean, I find I've found myself a couple of times, you know, like just stopping and saying, you know, can you tell me which way we're supposed to turn from this point? Because it's not clear to me. During the daytime, it's easy to see. You can see all mm-hmm. the ramp areas and the concrete and everything else. But at night with all these different lights, you're going, I don't know what I'm doing. Anyway. Yeah, uh, uh, ground markings are a bit of a nightmare as well, uh, and particularly painted lines. Uh, I used to have the heebie-jeebies sometimes coming into JFK or Newark uh, when it was mm-hmm. wet at, at night, uh, and you got a lot of floodlights that are shining down and reflecting off the wet surface. You completely lose sight of all the ground lines, and there are some really awkward uh, light ups, pardon me, at J- uh, New York, sorry, uh, that required you to come in at very odd angles. So you couldn't really orientate yourself against the building or even against the jetway. Um, you had to kind of uh, really carefully follow the lines, and the marshallers sometimes weren't, weren't much help either. <laughs> so I used to creep in sometimes really low speed, and everyone's sort of gazing down, trying to work out where we're supposed to be going. Um, not good. Jeff, on your um, on your um, charts on your electronic flight bag, do you have own chip on that so you can see yes. where you are on the taxiways and everything? Yes. Okay. but nice. there are times when you know it. But get, still, can, it still can be disorienting. And yeah, confusing. I mean, and, and I've been flying in and out of Atlanta International Airport for thirty-two years, and this morning coming in, it was dark. It was you know still the sun had not come up yet when after we had flown from um, Melbourne, Florida to Atlanta. And it had been raining. And so everything was very wet. And they have all these ramp lights that are shining. And they told us to enter the um, left side of the ramp and and get to our gate. And I'm kind of just angling over and and I'm asking Cole, my first officer, I said, can you see where the line is? And he goes, no. I said, I think it's somewhere in here, isn't it? He goes, yeah, I think so. And we kept getting closer. And, you know, we went went from one concrete block to the next row of concrete blocks. And finally, I thought, I think I see it. Right there. And he goes, yeah, I think that's it. I mean, it's like, you know, why can't we have like little lights or reflectors or something there to help us see these darn things when it's wet and it's dark, you know, mm. not very helpful for yeah, pilots. That's exactly right. And then coming here uh, in Omaha, uh, everything is covered with snow. They had a, a whole bunch of snow a couple of days ago and Ew. a little bit of snow added snow today. And uh, they just kind of sort of plowed out an area. That's probably where the- almost easier because you just want to follow the plowed. Like yeah, pathways to your gate. It was it was a little bit easier, Broadway. but okay. you definitely couldn't see the stripe, and you're thinking, I think mm-hmm. this is the way they want us to line up. And then, you know, they kept doing the old, you know, come on, come on in. So I'm thinking, I guess we're doing what we're supposed to do. Look like we were oriented properly with the jetway, you know, the way it was positioned. So, yeah, it's just not a lot of fun when you're not really 100 percent sure that you're exactly where you know you should be. So. And as Neil says, I hate driving on partly lit motorways on wet nights. It's so hard to see the lane markings sometimes. And that's why it's same, always so helpful. Same thing. Hmm? Same thing. Yeah. That's why it's so helpful when they put those reflectors on there. You know, at, at night, even when it's wet, you know, your headlights bouncing off those little mm-hmm. reflectors is enough to say, okay, I know I can see exactly where the demarcations are for the for the lane. I mean, that happened to me not not that long ago, just, just driving, like Neil said. Um and a stretch of highway that I drive on every single day getting to and from work. Um, but it was raining quite hard and the uh, the line markings on the road are quite old and almost non-existent and very difficult to tell where in that 
path you're actually supposed to be because it's going around a corner as well and people are merging in and it's you know, mm-hmm. kind of a not a great situation no in the rain not not all right and finally last time in, in our new segment is this this was sent in to us from robert legal um let's see he's a stage four apg or not sure oh, no. what's how are the stages set up does anybody know Stage four is usually the very late stage. Late, oh, that's yeah. like stage four cancer. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. And there's Robert. other diseases like that too. It's you know really? either stage one, class one, class two. Yeah, these. So four you, and four is not you might have like a touch of something if you're stage one, mm. but stage four that's kind of almost terminal sometimes. Yeah, there's no coming back from it. I would say mm. it's a lifelong. That, condition. That's a good description, Steph. <laughs> No getting it's too back. late for you. <laughs> okay. Well, sorry, Robert. Sorry to hear that, but uh, we we are you know still actively the scientists are still actively in re- research on uh, go around a cylinder or something. Uh, it's a yeah. Point. They've been a bit distracted with other vaccines lately. Yeah, there were uh, several of our R and D scientists, uh, vaccinologists. Yeah, our, and, our funding got pulled. Yeah, and they and they got pulled to work on the vaccines, the COVID thing. I think so. You know, hopefully they'll be back soon. Anyway. Uh, he writes in and says, good day, APG crew. I'll reach back out soon and introduce myself as well as provide more news to help fill your news folder. And then he puts in parentheses, Liz will love me. Apologies for the brevity, but between legs on 15 minute turns, either way found this. And I think you might find it interesting. So obviously, well, maybe not so obvious, but it sounds to me like he may be an airline pilot. Based on that last paragraph. I concur. Okay. So this is what he sent us. Um, an article from, shoot, I forgot exactly where this article came from. Um, hmm. Did I write it down anywhere? Uh, note info. No. Anyway, uh, the U.S. Air Force Accident Invex- Investigation Branch released their, or board, released their final report for the crash of a U.S. Air Force Bombardier E-11A Global Express registration 11-9358 that occurred on January 27th, 2020 in Ghazni, Afghanistan. Uh, A Bombardier E-11A, and basically it is the uh, rough equivalent of the Bombardier um, uh, private jet global express 700 i think something like that it's or like a, uh, a crj 700 um, series jet um, and uh, it's a twin engine t-tail uh, regional jet looking airplane um, anyway operated by the u.s air force crashed in the dayak district in afghanistan killing both pilots the aircraft part of the 430th eecs wing that has probably something to do with electronics, something or other. Um, they were, um, the airplane was outfitted with a battlefield airborne communications node, BACON, B-A-C-N, and operated as a communications relay platform out of Kandahar Airport in Afghanistan. At the time of the accident, the aircraft operated on a combat sortie as well as a mission qualification training for the first officer. Takeoff occurred at 11.05 local time. The flight proceeded to the assigned orbit using standard departure climb procedures. 
The crew assumed a circular orbit just west of Kabul at 42,000 feet altitude at about 1136. At 1250, the crew requested and was cleared by ATC to climb from 42,000 feet to 43,000 feet. The engine revolutions per minute RPMs advanced, and the crew initiated the climb with the autopilot, gaining about 300 feet. Um, Then a fan blade broke free and separated from the N1 first stage turbofan of the left engine, causing major damage and resulting in the immediate shutdown of that engine by the electronic engine controller, the EEC, a subsystem of the FADEC, the full authority digital engine controller. This was accompanied by a bang. Simultaneous with the bang, the CVR recording stopped. Uh, Within obviously something on that engine was powering the um, cockpit voice recorder. Uh, Within one or two seconds after the initial event, the auto throttles disengaged automatically. The autopilot was engaged and it remained engaged. Bank angles remained essentially constant, consistent with a circular orbit, and the aircraft descended from an altitude of 42.3 to 41,000 feet. Ten seconds after the catastrophic left engine failure, the crew retarded both throttles to just less than halfway for one second and then slightly advancing the left throttle separately for one second, then retarding it to align with the right throttle for one second, and then finally splitting the throttles to advance the left throttle while retarding the right to idle. Nine seconds after moving the right throttle to idle, the crew placed the right engine run switch to off. Okay, just a little reminder here. The engine that had the fan blade that let loose and basically shut itself down was the left engine. And right here in this point of this accident, the crew is shutting down the good engine, the operating engine. Finally, at 12.51 and 19 seconds, the left throttle was advanced to full power. The left throttle, the one that has been shut down for a little bit. Uh, They briefly cycled, then brought to idle. At 12.51.23, both throttles were advanced from idle to full power. Of course, nothing happened. It's likely the crew's first actions, including the shutdown, were hastened by a sense of urgency due to aircraft vibrations and other auditory sensory cues reinforced by the startle response. The crew announced to Kabul Kabul, ATC that they had lost both engines and that they intended to proceed to Kandahar, which was well outside the uh, glide capabilities of this airplane. This intent suggests that the crew was confident of getting air starting one or both of the engines. Uh, While the crew uh, would have waited in accordance with a checklist to reach 30,000 feet to attempt an air start, an air start of the right engine should have been successful, whether accomplished with windmilling airspeed or with the assistance of the APU. However, air starts of the left engine would have failed due to the the original damage. There is no digital flight data recorder um, data to definitely confirm whether an engine air start attempt was made. At uh, 13.03, the crew announced to ATC that they were going to land at uh, FOB, I think it's Forward Operating Base, I think. Is that what that stands for? Sharana. Sounds good to me. And the aircraft continued to glide without engine power and was not able to reach Sharana. At approximately 13.09, the aircraft impacted the ground approximately 21 nautical miles short of Sharana uh, on a heading of roughly 140 degrees, consistent with a direct flight path towards Sharana. The terrain was unpopulated, largely flat, covered covered in snow. Uh, the wings show the slats out. Flaps appear to be extended, suggest, suggesting that the aircraft had been configured for and presumably slowed for landing. 
It's likely that the crew attempted to make a forced landing. While the terrain was largely flat, the aircraft impacted berms and ditches, roughly estimated between three and six feet high. Weather at Sharana was reported to have 1,000-foot ceilings. Pilot testimony confirms approximately 1,000-foot ceilings in the vicinity of the accident site. Accordingly, the crew may have had less than a minute to maneuver after exiting the clouds and seeing the terrain. It appears that while the aircraft touched down, it impacted a smaller berm almost immediately, then more completely impacted the ground and skidded to a halt in approximately 340 meters. During this time, the wings were ripped from the aircraft and subsequently much of the cockpit and cabin were destroyed by fire. And so the uh, Accident Investigation Board of the United States Air Force, uh, the president of that board found by a preponderance of the evidence that the cause of this mishap was the uh, mishap crew's error in analyzing which engine had catastrophically failed, the left engine. This error resulted in the mishap crew's decision to shut down the operable right engine, creating a dual engine out emergency. And uh, we're going to have a link in here to the actual PDF of the the full U.S. Air Force uh, Accident Investigation Board report. Let me show you a couple little pictures here of the uh, of the jet. Um, let's see here. Share screen, and there we go. That is not the. I don't think this is the accident airplane, but it's this is what this uh, jet looks like, and this is a picture at the crash site, um, and pretty much. The only thing remaining uh, was the uh, the tail structure and the uh, engine nacelles. So, yeah, that's pretty tragic, isn't it? It is. Mm. Um, startle factor, making an assumption, and then Nick, you've you always said this very elo- eloquently. I think um, about when you're in a situation like this, kind of taking a couple of steps back, winding, smoking a cigarette or winding your clock. My father always used to, yeah, he used to say the first thing you do after an engine failure was light a cigarette um, because that would take you, you know, 30 seconds or so and it would give you a chance to fully assess. Uh, Rick says, wind your watch. That's Mm -hmm. the other. It's another good, just something to Mm -hmm. stop you from immediately. They did all their actions uh, with throttles and there were several uh, throttle movements uh, to mid position, uh, advanced, retard, uh, and eventually shutting down the engine in uh, what about 27 seconds? Mm -hmm. They they did the whole nine yards. There were throttle movements within several seconds of each other, only a few seconds of each other without realizing sitting uh, for a moment to see if what they'd done with the throttles had resulted in a a change that they could properly analyze. And in fact, of course, uh, you know, we, we could look at this with hindsight. Had they done nothing, they would have been fine. Mm-hmm. But they'd done absolutely nothing because the damaged engine had just shut itself down mm-hmm. because the automatic uh, system had done that for them. The good engine was still running. If they'd just left the throttles alone, done mm-hmm. nothing, they mm-hmm. would have been fine. Yep. I mean, very sadly, there's been a couple instances of this, not in the uh, too distant past, too, where the incorrect engine has been shut down. There was the one in, what was it, Indo- Indonesia or something along those lines? Um, oh, yeah, they, yeah, 
uh, the aviation history dotted yeah. with them. And one of the worst uh, we had in the UK was uh, a 737 uh where the guy shut down the wrong engine and uh, the good engine, uh, <laughs> it wasn't the good engine, it was actually the damaged engine, failed on very short finals and he couldn't quite reach the runway and crashed onto the embankment of a motorway that was just short of the runway and killed a large number of people. And was, wasn't uh, that the one where the, 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 the cabin crew um, knew that it was the right engine or yeah. whatever and but they, they they could they could have seen the flames but they coming out of this but they didn't tell the cockpit crew or something i don't remember I think exactly there was a complete lack of communication mm -hmm. between the two um yeah mm. the guy uh had come off a previous version of the 73 and i think anecdotally if you've got a certain engine failure you would smell smoke in the cockpit because that's the <sighs> air conditioning pack that uh, bought the smoke it bought air into the cockpit if it was the other engine you didn't and uh you know, they he used this cue to think which engine to shut down without actually really analyzing the instruments and shut down the wrong one because he was on a different mark of aircraft. Yep. And we also talk about a lot Kegworth, on the show. Yes. Uh, the um the the uh, the bucket of time. You know, there are certain things that happen, and they don't require you to do like something right away. I mean, the things that are like big things, like you got to get the airplane on the ground immediately. It's like when the airplane's on fire. Uh, but there are very few things that necessitate an immediate urgent action like that. Most everything else, even including an engine blowing up, even though I'm sure it was not a pleasant situation to be in. I'm sure it was making a lot of noise and vibrating the airplane like crazy. But uh, it was one of those things where they had time and they yeah. basically just took away all the time that they had by shutting down the wrong engine and just kind of hastily um, make uh, taking actions uh, that uh, were not appropriate. Yeah, yeah. Those fan blades are big, so when you throw a fan blade, uh, it really does destabilize uh, the front of the engine, and you get a lot of vibration. You just have to be prepared for that, um, and it can it, when you're fat, dumb, and happy uh, in what is probably quite a you know, well, laborious and slightly boring job just flying around in orbits. Uh, you know, when something dramatic like that happens, it's bound to shock you. It's bound to uh, make you go, wow, what's that? Yeah. But you really have to, that's why you have to take such a big effort to slow your actions down and try and think as clearly as you can and exclude all the distractions so that you pick up on the cues that allow you to make the right decisions. Yep. Very, very sad outcome there. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm also so sad they didn't manage to relight the good engine because they had a lot of time. From 41,000 40, feet, feet down yeah. to ground level, they had plenty of time. I to, think they said uh, they had at least you know, five start attempts worth of time as the thing was yeah, drifting so down. Yeah, so why didn't the engine relight? don't know. That seems very odd because, after all, that's what you do on air tests and things. <laughs> they may you just have, practice relighting the engines, make sure they all work. Maybe they never attempted to restart the right engine. Maybe they because they thought that was the kept trying to engine the whole restart time. the damaged engine. Well, that would have been. I mean, that's when it comes down to it, I'll even try and restart a damaged engine because it's mm -hmm. better to have a damaged engine running than it is yep. to crash land. Sure. Sadly, it looks like the, uh, the the digital flight data recorder and the CVR both cut out early on in this incident, yeah. and uh, they're not really mm -hmm. sure exactly what they were doing. No, they're very sad. 
Yeah. And we'll never know now. Well, if you want to read the full report, it'll be in the show notes for you. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's our news segment for today. And that means it's now time to get all caught up with what's been happening with the crew since the last episode. <laughs> get you to like us. <laughs> all right. So, how long has it been? It's been almost a full week, hasn't it? Since we last uh, yeah. exactly a week. Yeah. Didn't we do this last Wednesday or Thursday? Feels or like, did we uh, move? Oh, I forget what we did. Yeah, it was last Wednesday. Yeah. Last Wednesday, yeah. Exactly a week ago. So, um, how's everything been going for you, Steph? You've been busy? Good. I've been very busy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, excuse me. I had a sip of my beer just a moment ago, and it was letting me know how delicious it oh, is. Oh, yeah. I smell it now. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> it is good. It's yeah. quite good. It's my old go-to uh, all-day IPA there. Oh, yeah. Um, no, um, good. Just just been busy. Um, I kind of mentioned at the very top of the show, I had a friend in town over the weekend when my um, med school friends um, finally came down for a, a visit. So that was very nice um, to have them in town. Um, felt better about doing it as we both had our COVID vaccines and you know doing what we can to make sure that's a safe uh, safe thing to do. And um, also got to do a little bit of flying this past weekend. Haven't done a lot recently, but um, Armando and I went out to the uh, small airfield where he does his um, skydiving operations. And we um, both did a couple laps in the pattern just for currency sake and um, practice at that field since it's um, shorter grass strips on, you know, uh, runways with a little bit of a grade to them and uh in between the trees and all that good stuff. Sadly, Steph uh, kind of kicked uh, Armando out of the airplane, thinking that he had a, a parachute on. <laughs> he didn't. And let's just let's just take Aww. a few moments to yeah, pause and think about Armando and. Well, actually, uh, considering his <laughs> considering his military background, he probably just you know got up and walked away Bounced. from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's like, this is fine. I don't see that. Yeah. <laughs> No, but my thanks to him for getting us out there to do that. That was a lot of fun, as always. And um, yeah, it was a nice day for it. Um, we had some really nice weather over the weekend. And then yesterday, or no, Monday was kind of rainy and not very nice at all. And they forecast that yesterday we were going to have almost spring-like conditions with temperatures like in the low 20s and sunshine in the afternoon. And woke up and it was completely foggy and the fog never lifted and it never got out of the, like, it, it, Never got out of the 50s, so like out of the low teens, Celsius. But today was much better. Did you get any um, of that thunderstormy weather? We did, on yeah. Monday night, Monday night, early early Tuesday morning. Monday night into Tuesday morning, it was like mm-hmm. two o'clock in the morning. We had thunderstorms come through. Yeah, I was not expecting that. I did not realize that was in the forecast. And um, I woke up at first. I thought it was like some sort of like large freight aircraft on approach to Charlotte in the middle of the night because sometimes. I'll hear that too. Um, they tend to fly directly over my house out of like 3,000 feet. And they're constantly uh, wa- rocking oh. their wings, hoping that Steph comes yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. Waves like, at hey. Them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then I realized pretty quick, I was like, no, that's, that's thunder. It's, we're having a thunderstorm. And I did not know of this old wives' tale. Are you familiar with it, Jeff? Where if, it, if you have a thunderstorm in the winter, um, apparently you're supposed to get snow 10 days later. No. I'd never hmm. heard that before, but that's what everyone either. was talking about at work. Oh, 
So that would mean like uh, I don't know. I grew up in the Midwest where it snowed all the time anyway in the winter, mm-hmm. so we didn't need to make up old wives' tales about when yeah. we might get snow because it was bound to happen anyway. And you know, it's not unusual, um, especially in the uh, southern uh, United States this time of year to get no. these these severe systems that will roll through. And that's usually when I think there was only one person killed uh, north of uh, Birmingham, Alabama. There um, was the tornado in Birmingham, and there was another one today in Tallahassee. Oh. Okay. Um, apparently, some significant damage to the airport. Oh, but was the one that rolled through um, in the middle of the night? Those are the really dangerous ones because, as you said, you know, you're not expecting that kind of weather this time of yeah. year unless you're like a weather geek like I am, and I I'm watching all the time what the forecasts are. And and I was also the next day going to be leaving on a trip, so I was paying more attention to the weather systems. Uh, and that's what I always do before I go on a trip, just to kind of see what I might be encountering. Sure. Um, and uh, so I, I was aware that there was supposed to be some um, system going through in the middle of the night, but it was mm. bigger and stronger than I thought it was going to be. Because normally I don't wake up when I, you know, when the thunder and lightning hits. But uh, this one definitely. No, it was pretty intense. Out. Yeah, it was. Yeah. You know, probably thirty minutes worth of a, an intense thunderstorm for us. Hmm. So, uh, okay. So you got to see a good friend and got to got see a good to, friend, got to do some flying. It's mm-hmm. been a, it's been a good week. Yeah, no complaints. Like very, very nice. Nick, how have you been, sir? Now uh, tell me I something you've done f- other than doing the plane tail, <laughs> <laughs> which I know. You're not does. allowed to give us that as your update. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Uh, it's a bit like Groundhog Day here. <laughs> now I was, um, chatting to Sebastian, uh, last night on his, uh, his air crash uh, podcast. That's right. That that happened yesterday. That's right. He does a uh, he does the podcast which he pre-records and then oh, okay. he a few days later he does a little live uh, news bit um, about talking about uh, listener reactions. So uh, most of the time we just chatted about questions uh, that online listeners were asking about uh, the Tenerife. Uh, a disaster and uh, other incidents that he uh, had covered recently. So that was very nice. Um, sadly, um, of course, I don't speak German. So a lot of the time was spent me talking and then him translating. Ah, okay. <laughs> so I felt a bit sorry for him because he had to work very hard. <laughs> but uh, that was very pleasant. Uh, and uh, he offered to uh, pay me twice what you pay me, Jeff. Really? Uh, and wow. so I'm going back on a show uh, <laughs> uh, in a few weeks' time, I think, uh, to, to help him out again. Ooh, very nice. Man, you're going to be in the money. <laughs> well, I am. Yeah, we yeah, are 100% paying. Of nothing. Yeah, that's. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> I forget my multiplication tables, the zeros. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, anytime you multiply something by zero, it. I must be making a mistake with my calculator. (laughs) Yeah, you should get your calculator checked. (laughs) And he's paying me in Bitcoin as well. Oh, well, that that may not be a bad thing. (laughs) Just don't forget the password. Invest it all in uh, GameStop, apparently. Uh, Good idea. I'll do that. No, not much has happened here, I'm afraid. Uh, We're still under lockdown and unlikely things are unlikely to change for quite a while. Now, what if one of uh, the listeners, or like me, want to listen to your appearance on the um, airplane crash podcast? What's it called? The exact name? Air crash podcast? Yeah, air crash podcast. Um, is, that, is that something that's on his YouTube channel uh, or that you can subscribe to? Or do you know? 
Uh, that's a very good question. Well, we're uh, going to find out the answer to that, and then we can put that information in the show notes if you want to check uh, it out. Funny enough, he sent me lots of emails, but I don't see uh, – What's that? You see, trouble is that it's all in German. Ah. <laughs> so, uh, no, it's all uh, Microsoft Meetings, which is his mm. uh, platform of choice. Okay. Uh, links. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, I think even if you uh, went to uh, aircrashpodcast.de, uh, that might help you, but mm -hmm. um, whether okay. you'd be able to understand it, I think it's probably an old German show. Well, we don't really understand what you're saying, even on this show. So, wouldn't be anything to. Your accent luckily, is very confusing to us. <laughs> luckily, we Steph just nod and generally, smile. Generally, translates for me. Yeah, that's true. I've done a little bit of. I've yeah. a little bit of practice. She's getting the hang of it. <laughs> Our official translator. Absolutely. All right. Well, excellent. Well, I'm I'm so happy. You must have done a great job if he invited you back. So that's uh, that's awesome. I, I think he was just so pleased I hadn't wrecked the thing for him. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, very good. And uh, anything uh, in the works for the weekend upcoming? Uh, I, well, I'm, my next plane tale uh, is going to be about the red flag exercises. Uh, and I know a fair amount about them, but I never actually went on one. So I'm going to spend the weekend uh, chatting to uh, old Air Force friends who have uh, been on them. And uh, Captain Nige, uh, Nigel will be the first. Oh, nice. So uh, we're going to have a chat on Friday. And oh, uh, I, I will either make it an interview or just include his his stuff in it. Uh, fun fact, German becomes easier if you have more German beer. Oh, that's uh, true. Jawohl. That is a good tip there, Tillman. Even if, and better if you have a spy beer. So, uh, <laughs> after, after a certain point, though, it's uh, diminishing returns. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's kind of that exponential right curve. You know, better, 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 better. And then <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. Excellent. Um, let's see. For me, uh, not a lot going on. Let's see. It was Wednesday of last week, and I finished up my – Vacation period, the the vacation where I didn't do anything or go anywhere um, on Saturday um, and um, still not singing with my singing group at the church. But it looks like this upcoming weekend, I'm going to be back um, on Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning uh, doing a little singing. So I'm looking forward to that. I missed, I've been missing that. Um, and uh, I'm on a trip. So if you're watching the video or you listen to Radio Rogers' um, introduction for the show today. I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, and this is the uh, second day of a three-day trip. And uh, yesterday, we ended up going to Richmond and back from Atlanta to Richmond, back to Atlanta, and then over to Melbourne, uh, not uh, uh, Australia, but uh, Melbourne, Florida, which is just south of the uh, Cape Canaveral uh, and uh, – what is it called? The uh, Patrick Air Force Base and um, the place where uh, Major Nelson and Jeannie live um, on the Florida coast. What's what's the name of the little town there? Oh, come on. Somebody help me out. You're, you're I muted. I remember Jeannie, no but I've, no, I, I thought she lived in a bottle. Mm -hmm. uh, Cocoa Beach. Thank you, Liz. 
<laughs> Cocoa Beach. Furious Googling going on behind yeah. the scenes, I feel like. <laughs> um, so Although as, Liz, Liz knows a lot of these trivia Yeah, things, she knew so that. She, just, she didn't have to look that up. So uh, Melbourne, uh, she was, oh, well, you're not on Clean Feed. She says, I was screaming in Clean Feed, but I don't see you at all on Clean Feed. Somehow you dropped out of that. <laughs> so sorry, I didn't hear anything. Um, anywho, uh, Melbourne's down there, um, kind of like uh, an old Florida Atlantic uh, coastline kind of town and a little sleepy town, but I love it. And a nice quiet airport and uh, had a quick layover, got in a little after. Oh, I hear you now, Liz. Um, I got in a little around five o'clock ish um, yesterday afternoon and uh, we had a, a, a beer at the bar and some good food for dinner uh, at the bar and then uh, got a good night's sleep, got up really early. Uh, it was a five o'clock um, report time this morning, six o'clock departure out of Melbourne, went up to Atlanta, flew in the, um, in the rain and the thunderstorm, you know, avoided all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, went from Atlanta to here in Omaha tomorrow. We go back to Atlanta and I don't really remember exactly where we go. Oh, thank you. Liz is telling me you're going to Houston after Atlanta. Thank you. <laughs> uh, going to well, Houston. I hope she got that right. Or the passengers will be very disappointed. Yeah, right. <laughs> True. Houston. We're supposed to be in Denver. <laughs> uh, Houston Intercontinental uh, is where we're going and uh, doing our, our victory lap tomorrow. So, uh, And then I go back out again on Monday, um, a three-day trip with uh, my good friend and first officer, Brent Herron. Um, and I actually, oh, I saw, I'm glad you guys are flying together again. Yeah, me too. This first he, time uh, on the Yep. The first time the two of us still pretty new on the airplane, um, flying together. Um, he goes, are you feeling comfortable? I saw him today. Uh, he was walking down there. He had picked up something and I, and I saw him walking down the concourse the opposite direction. And so we kind of got caught up a little bit and he said, you feeling comfortable on this yet, Jeff? And I said, eh, that's all right. And she goes, yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, okay, well, as long as the passengers know, don't know how we're feeling and what we're talking about right now, we'll be okay. <laughs> Confidence and smiles. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> anyway, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, that's it. Not a lot going on with me otherwise. Um, let's see. I think I put something in here that I wanted to talk about in the intro. Oh, um, you'll remember last week we played a um, – excerpt little clip video clip of the angel falls from shot from a dc3 and we were commenting on the interesting choice of uh, of music uh, in the background and uh, apparently i should not have played that video on youtube with that music in the background um magnus um writes in he said the music played in the angel fall video you played in episode 457 is called Conquest of Paradise by Vangelis and is the theme song for the movie 1492, Conquest of Paradise. And then he gives us a link to uh, Spotify for that um, piece. And he said, uh, Vangelis also wrote the songs for Blade Runner and Chariots of Fire. So, uh, Yeah, and Mr. Vangelis is very upset and he's sending you a bill. Well, Mm -hmm. YouTube is really more upset. (laughs) Uh, And basically it said that I had a copyright we had a copyright violation and that, and you know, we can't monetize the video, but you know, I never monetize the video. I always check the thing that says do not monetize um, because it, you know, usually results in 
pennies. <laughs> not, not a, I don't have millions of people watching. We don't have millions of people watching the video for some strange reason. So um, I just never bother with the um, with the you know trying to um, get monetized for the videos. But the thing that I was a little concerned about, and I don't know, maybe you're listening to this now and you're wondering why you couldn't watch the video for the recording of 457. It's because it's blocked in certain countries. <laughs> it doesn't tell me which ones. Uh, but certain, to, yeah, certain be countries. Useful. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh well. By the way, Vangelis uh, or Vangelis is um, quite well known for aviation-related music. Oh, uh, because the Blue Angels, uh, their A4s, did a beautiful, fantastic um, film about uh, their a show, and it was done to Vangelis' uh, dreams. Uh, and then many years later, I don't know what anniversary it was of that original movie. They did another one with the F-18s to the same music, and they're both brilliant. Although, quite honestly, I prefer the A-4s. They mm -hmm. were just phenomenal, but great piece of music. Well, it's apparent to me uh, and everyone listening that I have, you know, really don't know Vangelis because I was saying Vangelis. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so sorry about that. Yeah. Um, Let's, I didn't know either. You're fine. Okay. Um, well, I was beginning to think I was doing it wrong for all these no, years. No, no, no. I, I don't. I just saw the, and I just went for Angel Falls and Vangelis. Just kind of did the soft G for both. But I was wrong. Uh, Lane says, I could give you some tips to increase viewer numbers. I know it works for the sailing channels. Yeah. <laughs> Steph, um, from mm. now on, we want you to wear a bikini. <laughs> um, while we're recording the show, if you don't mind, and maybe I you said the weather was nice this week. It was not. Why don't you just turn the central heating up a little? You'll be fine. Yeah, and or you, we could set the uh, camera up on a tripod uh, right next to the hot tub. You know. Okay. Think I mean, I that. wouldn't mind. Yeah, you know, I think that's what Lane is talking about with the uh, sailing video. Lane, you watch a lot of sailing videos, huh? Pardon the interruption. When we're recording the show live, the only person who can hear me is Captain Jeff. Now he's decided to include my audio here in the post-show edit. Lucky you. Enjoy. Uh-oh, Nick, 50%. 50%, Nick. Oh, I, oh right. Uh, Daniel's uh -oh. corrected me. Uh-oh. It's uh, Van Halen did, uh, not Van Gellis, uh, did Dreams. Damn. <laughs> so forget all that. Well, it's good Forget to get all that. this out of the way before the next show. We've already corrected ourselves in midst. Exactly, good of point. So you one. don't yeah. have to. You don't have to write to us. We already know. No, no, don't, don't write. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I made a mistake there. <laughs> you know, at first, Lane, I thought you were being serious about um, increasing the viewer numbers, and I was going to go into a little spiel about how we really don't care how many people are watching the video because this is just the behind the scenes platform we're using to record the audio podcast, which, you know, like 90 something percent of the people that listen to our show, um, you know, don't watch the video. But then I realized that, okay, I get it. You're, you're being funny. He, he is a very funny, a funny man. He is. Um, and he, he is su suggesting that the guys wear mankinis. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's going to have the same effect, you know, giving us more viewers. I think it's going to take away viewership if we, uh, if we did that. Except for Rick. Yeah. Tim well, mentions Rick? that yeah. uh, Tim Van Ram says those van names, they're difficult. Oh, I those have, vans. I have to agree. Those yeah. vans. <laughs> have to they agree all sound them. alike to me. Those damn yeah. vans or van, van dams, van whatever. Van Halen, Van <laughs> yeah. Ram. I don't yeah. know. 
yeah. transit vans, panel vans. <laughs> the, you know. Well, you know what? I think all of them are fantastic. <laughs> all right. Um, anything else? Or is it now time for us to uh, roll on to the coffee fund? Definitely. See, I didn't forget this week. All right. Let's uh, do this button right here. The button. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. The APG Java Jive. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea. Oh, can't sing that low. And me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. That is the APG Coffee Fund, which is the indication we're going to talk about how you, dear listener, can make this a big part of your life by contributing financially to our show. A couple different ways to do that. Um, the Coffee Fund Classic Method, and we'll talk about those fine folks first. Uh, that's basically a PayPal donation page where you can make a one-time or recurring donation. And since the last show, Charles... Kanjurski, Mark Porter, Vigner Ornguanison, and Jason Kuntz contributed using the Coffee Fund Classic Method. Thank you, gentlemen, for that. And the other way to contribute to the show is to become a patron via Patreon. And since the last episode, we have a new executive producer, Mark Gould. So welcome to Patreon, Mark. And... Uh, You'll you'll uh, be right at home with all these fine folks who are patrons of the show. All those massive crew logs that are being pumped out. Huh. Yeah. You'll get access. Okay, Liz is distracting me with mentioning the crew logs that you have access to as a member of the Coffee Fund Cadre or Coffee Bar Club. And it's been a while since we put out a crew log. Sorry. <laughs> she's, make, she's shaming me right in the middle of my Coffee Fund segment. Spiel. Liz. I know. Shut up. I need to do Shut better. Up, the shame. It's I'm being very, For very shame. shamed. Oh well, I deserve it. We'll we'll put out a crew log here soon, I promise. Well, we can all put out crew logs, so I think the shame is equally spread. I should be doing it more than anybody else, and um I haven't. Haven't been a good leader. So oh well. I mean, we've just been following yes. your example. You guys are following my bad example blameless <laughs> in this endeavor okay there you go so that is the coffee fun and now it's time for us to move on to the feedback portion of the show captain incoming message first item in our feedback segment Stephen writes here are links to a couple YouTube videos of radio-controlled aircraft that Rick and Nick will likely find interesting. I know it's not full-scale aircraft, but I thought Nick uh, thought of Nick right away when I saw the A380. Uh, I didn't feel right leaving out Rick, so I had to find a 747 for him. Sorry, Jeff and Steph. You'll have to see if you can find something you flew at one time. I don't think Stephen really cares that much for us, Steph. No. Well, you even got my airplane wrong. I never flew the 380. <laughs> well, they're all the same. But it's a Airbus. Yes. Airbus. It's Airbus. Yeah. A320, A380. Yeah, just the same, really. <laughs> um, anyway, he says, thanks for keeping us non-certificated aviation nuts entertained and stay safe. Uh, 
Um, so he has links, uh, YouTube links to a few different videos and channels. And uh, let's see the first one. Uh, we're not going to play them on the show, but we're going to have them in the show notes for you all to go and click on and watch. First one he has here is a uh, giant RC airliner, a Boeing 747 Virgin Atlantic. Uh, in the description of the A380, uh, oh wait, the, the, the next one is an Airbus A380 made in flight. And in the description of the A380, they mentioned it took three years and 1,700 hours of labor to build it. Just like the real thing then. Yeah. No, I think that actually the real thing took less time. Less time. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> These things are. I mean, once you've got it, you know. Yeah, but there was only like two blokes building the model. Yeah, and mm, like five enough. that were building the real airplane. <laughs> That's all well, it the takes, Airbus, yeah. Airbus just is like those um, little models that you put together when you're a kid. You know, it's uh -huh. like little yep, plastic the pieces ones. that you punch out and then they just fit together. Oh, and they've got a, a bloke in the factory, and there's a go button and a stop button. Exactly. And all he does is press the go button, and out comes the A380. And like this plastic stuff comes out and goes, and it just like yep. forms yeah. apart. It's like yeah. 3D printers. Just yeah, actually, actually you have, if you've not seen the uh, TV program, you probably haven't, of James May, one of our uh, presenters who normally does Top Gear. Mm -hmm. uh, he builds a Spitfire, oh. full-size Spitfire that is made just like uh, an airfix extruded plastic model. Wow. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, it doesn't fly, sadly. But, oh, uh, looks, okay. Looks I was going to say, I wonder if it flies. Brilliant. No. no. That's very uh, cool. By the way, I took up the Red Bull team mm -hmm. uh, video. Uh, in fact, I had a quick look at them all. But uh, the Red Bull team one was very good because, uh, you know, they've got these guys actually flying these uh, aircraft in formation. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, while I was doing that, I found one of the 100 best uh, radio-controlled aircraft crashes. <laughs> and that oh, was no. hilarious. <laughs> That's just mean. Yeah. Well, uh, that was can really you imagine good. putting all that work into something like that and then just, like, wrecking it? Oh. That's exactly what was happening. Yeah, That's and often so on their very first flights. So, you know, oh. brand-new, shiny model out for the very first time. That's probably why I never got into radio controlled models. I know that's exactly what would happen with me. Yeah. Uh, we had a new, yeah. got a new uh, small drone for Christmas, and I'm terribly nervous flying that thing around in my backyard with all the trees and branches. I was like, eh, this is not a good idea. I'm going to crash it. You're right. I'll fly it. Like all the uh, it, systems that kind of sense. It's the, yeah, it's one of the DJI minis. Oh, those so are nice. It flies yeah. very nice, but yeah. um, I don't know. I was still a little nervous. There's just a lot of obstacles in my backyard. Do you remember uh, when we were out in Dana's boat once? Mike had one of those, didn't yes. he? Yeah. Very bravely took it off from the boat, filmed mm -hmm. us, and then landed it back on the boat again. I mm -hmm. thought that was yeah. pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. That was a lot of fun. wonder if he still – I'm sure he still has that uh, footage. That would be fun to – I've never oh, yeah. seen that footage. Oh, he, no, he never showed it. it to me. Hmm. Mike, well, if you're listening. Yeah. Mike, uh, send that to me or a link to it or something like that. We can put it on our YouTube channel and people can watch it. We were kind of keeping it quiet cool. there for a while. Well, that's right. We, we were keeping it on the down low um, when we were doing our little retreat. Well, that's because you kept mm. dropping your shorts. Well, shh. That's what I mean when, I, when, I, when we keep it on the down low. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, Stephen. Well, it didn't take long for us to go right into the gutter, did it? Yeah, it did 
stop nah, right there. Nah, Given we, the opportunity, I, we will take that every time. Let me tell you what, though. So you're not hearing Liz. She was. She's been in the gutter for quite some time. I, I can to, see uh, her. Dear. I can see her laughter in the, on the screen. I can't hear it, but I can I tell what's myself a lot. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, there was a time that uh, on the if you're listening to the audio only podcast, there was a time when I was including uh, when I was doing the post editing, I would include. Liz's audio at certain points. So you could actually hear what I'm hearing from her. And, and then finally, I think it was just confusing. A lot of people went like, why, why is it that I hear Liz? And why does Jeff kind of pretend like, you know, he, that we can't hear her or whatever. And I thought, okay, just forget it. That's <laughs> just not worth it. it. Was definitely oh, I was enjoying that. I, I think it was great. <laughs> the yeah. But uh, I don't know, maybe I'll go back to doing it again, but it just seems like it was, um, it was a point of confusion for a lot of people. So you I need like I a little disclaimer it. at the beginning of the show that just says, yeah, sometimes that's you what might I said in the show. Oh, that's what Liz is saying. I've that's what I said. Her. Okay. I've okay. inserted Liz for comedic effect. Yeah. Or maybe just, well, every- there are plenty of shows where the producer occasionally pipes up. Mm-hmm. You can hear, hear, hear them being interjecting. Yeah. Well, if you're watching the video, you'll know. Because you don't, the only way that you can hear Liz is if she actually joins, you know, into the video stream yard session that we're doing. Uh, but this whole time, <laughs> what? So she just popped up there for a, a millisecond. Oh, I didn't Liz see that. I was, I was on a different window. <laughs> it was a tease. Oh, she did this, huh? Ah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's pretty quick on the draw, though. She doesn't like being on the screen. <laughs> anyway, so you know, you never usually you don't hear Liz on the uh, on the video, but uh, if you listen to the audio, um, sometimes you'll hear her, and maybe we'll continue to. So I don't know. Maybe we should have people vote, decide whether you want to um, hear. Uh, no, I don't care about what you guys think. I'm talking about the people who are listening to the show. Oh, the important See how people. we're yeah. treated around here? <laughs> yeah, I know. No, I shouldn't have said I don't care. I do care. Just not that much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, oh, yeah, let me know if you like hearing from Liz every every once in a while, and then I'll just put a little disclaimer here uh, every now and then. I'll, re, uh, I'll record <laughs> something. I love hearing Liz in your ear. <laughs> Pardon the interruption. When we're recording the show live, the only person who can hear me is Captain Jeff. Now he's decided to include my audio here in the post-show edit. Lucky you. Enjoy. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Okay, moving along. Moving along. Uh, yes. Oh, you know, it's really, uh, Mohammed. Uh, he had to leave because it was, was getting kind of late. Yeah, he was here uh, in the live audience at the beginning of the show, but he said he had to leave because it was kind of getting late. So... Um, Muhammad, you're hopefully listening to this after the fact, after we recorded this show live, but anyway, he sent in some feedback and he said, it's a story that happened during uh, a training session. I think this story, it's the weirdest and strangest story that ever happened in aviation time. Forgive my English ability. I'm doing my best to practice English. And so let's hear Muhammad with his pretty darn good English, I think. Hello there, APG. Uh, this is me, Mohammed, the trainee air traffic controller from Baghdad International Airport, Askarami, Bravo, India. I wish you are doing well and you are fine. On this feedback, I'd like to share with you a story happened with me during my training session. And I believe that what happened to me, it will never happen in the future. And I think it never happened before in, in in, in, in the, during the history of aviation, let's say that. 
during my session, the, there is there was an aircraft taxiing. Uh, while the aircraft taxiing, the pilot reported there is a foot foreign object debris on the taxiway. So, when a pilot said foot, everybody you, you think or the first thing coming to his mind, it could be a dead rabbit, it could be a crack, it could be kind of rock or uh, uh, some of uh, uh, oil leak, something like that on the taxiway. So I followed the procedure. I asked the pilot, I said, report type of foot. The pilot said this literally, Jews and yogurt. I said, copy, juice and yogurt. I will call the operation field to inspect that part of the taxiway. Okay, I got to pause this for a moment. Um, if you're wondering what he's saying right there, he's saying juice and yogurt, that somebody reported food on the taxiway and he asked what it was and the pilot responded, juice and yogurt. So continuing. But inside myself, I got confusion. And also my instructor who was watching me he asked me what the pilot report type of food i said sir he reported jews and yogurt and that's very awkward and my instructor he wasn't sure did i listened very well to uh, to the pilot report uh, reporting or what the pilot reports and when i ha hand off the when I hand off the aircraft to the, con the tower controller, my instructor asked the, con the tower controller to ask the pilot again to be sure what he reported on that part of taxiway uh, or what he did he found. And the pilot confirmed again that he found Jews and yogurt. The officer of inspection, he called us on ground frequency and he said, uh, hey ground, we found juice and yogurt on the taxiway and it looks someone eating breakfast recently. I said, what? That's, that's weird. That's awkward. I said, okay. Uh, I said, okay, operation field, take action to remove that, uh, take action to remove that uh, type of food. And if, he, if you found the food is delicious, eat it. <laughs> it was a funny moment, and uh, that's what happened to me. We found breakfast on the taxiway. And I think someone ate the, eating the, the breakfast on the taxiway because at that time, the weather was very beautiful. It was a sunny day. Everything was perfect. So maybe someone, without noticing, eating breakfast on the taxiway so dear ipg if you like to join me to eat breakfast on the taxiway you are very welcome and there is a vip place on the runway <laughs> thank you very much bye bye i can't wait to go there and have some juicing yogurt on the taxiway especially <laughs> if it's a nice sounds, day sounds delightful <laughs> absolutely yeah uh, although i'm a bit worried about uh, the uh, aircraft taxiing around but uh, <laughs> Yeah, I guess security maybe is just not move really... off to the to the side. Yeah, you, you can know, move out of the way and then move shooters. back. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a nice. Absolutely. I'm sure it's nice for a plane spotting. Yeah, perfect. 
In fact, that's Spotty probably what little breakfast. That's probably APG who they were. Meetup, APG meetup on the taxiway. Oh, APG meetup. Liz is saying <laughs> on the taxiway on the taxiway. In, uh, Baghdad. That's Baghdad. fantastic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sounds like a very unique, perfect idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mohammed. Uh, again, I think that uh, your your English is great, and we uh, are so happy that you're part of our community and that you're sending us in feedback. And the next item in our feedback, by the way, um, relates to Mohammed. And this is from Sam. Hey, APG crew. Thanks for a great podcast. It's really helping to keep me connected with commercial aviation during these dreadful times. To introduce myself, I'm a London-based co-pilot for a major UK and European airline and have been furloughed since March. Sorry about that, Sam. It's been a frustrating and very worrying time, but I know just how lucky I am to still technically have a job. Although I have no idea when I'll be invited back for my return to work training as we are still in a national lockdown as I write this. I'm writing with reference to episode 455 where Mohammed said in great English, considering it's his second language, that he's looking to improve and practice his spoken English skills around the subject of aviation generally. As it happens, while I've been away from work, I've taken the opportunity to train as an online English tutor as a native English speaker commercial and private pilot, and also living with an air traffic controller. I would be very happy to help Muhammad with some spoken English practice should he wish to get in touch with me. As it happens, when I started my training to become an online English tutor, this was exactly the sort of scenario I was hoping for, to assist those in the aviation community who already have a basic grasp of English and common phraseology to improve and gain confidence in using the English language more widely. I am thoroughly enjoying the lessons I've undertaken so far and would be pleased to help my aviation colleagues or their friends, family, au pairs, etc. to improve their English speaking, reading, listening, writing skills whilst earning a few extra pennies during this furlough period. Please feel free to pass my email address on to Mohammed and anyone else who may be interested in discussing online English tuition. Um, I'm afraid I don't have a website as yet. Since this has all occurred as a result of COVID, yet it has proved to be a small beacon of light during these dark times, and I'm thoroughly enjoying watching my students' progression. Keep up the great work, and thanks for helping to fill the aching aviation void in my life right now. Best wishes, Sam. And uh, so I'm assuming, Liz, that uh, she she puts her email address in here, that it's okay for... Yep. Okay. She's Um, good with it. Okay, she says she's and, good with uh, it. She and Mohammed have already connected. Oh, how today. about that? Uh, Liz is telling me that she and Mohammed have already connected. Um, and uh, Liz has facilitated it. Oh, Liz, the matchmaker. Very yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, matchmaker. Uh, Excellent. To, so uh, to convert uh, her. They'll be enjoying juice and yogurt before long. Oh, yeah. You never know. Although the air traffic controller person that Sam is with may object to that. But well, hmm. well, she likes air traffic controllers. <laughs> she does so. like the air traffic controller people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, looking good for Mohammed. Her <laughs> her email address is sams. That's s a m s dot e at hotmail dot co dot uk. So sams dot e at hotmail dot co dot uk. Um, if it's not suitable to read this address out loud, okay, it is. Um, so. Yeah, we uh, Liz forwarded the uh, this email to Muhammad, and, and as we just mentioned, or as Liz just informed me, uh, they've already uh, been able to connect. So that's great. See what we do here at the APG: we connect people. 
mean, yes. You know, funny being a little jokey there, but it it's um I love seeing this type of stuff. I really love yeah. the community here and and this is kind of what it's all about. So thank you I guys. Agree. And thanks Sam for reaching out. Yeah. And glad things are um going okay. You know, I know it's a tough time for everyone. So mm-hmm. but I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, a pot of I gold so. at the end of the rainbow and all that kind of stuff. So easy for me to say, right though, because I still have a job. But uh, we do feel sorry for those who have suffered greatly uh, during this whole pandemic. Oh, absolutely. Bloody nightmare. All right. Anyway, feel good. I like that. Um, next item from Jeffrey. Um, the title of his feedback is a remarkably quick glider. And then he gives us a clip or a, uh, a uh, link to dronedj.com. And uh, let's see, I'll read a little bit of this article. Remote control glider sets speed record. Now you think of a glider, you know, you don't think that they go that fast. 548 miles per hour. Yeah, I know. This, this was remarkable. I was just gobsmacked by the, the whole concept of this. I don't understand it, Mm-mm. but uh, that's an amazing thing to do. They have this video that uh, we'll have in the show notes that you can watch. And the only thing, a, a little tip for the guy that's doing the video, <laughs> I think you'll agree with me, uh, Nick, is like keep the vi- keep the camera stationary so that you can just see the the drone, the glider, um, not drone, the glider um, moving around and just like uh, some at amazing speed, um, hard to keep track of. But the person doing the video, <laughs> it's like moving the camera like left, right, left. Right. I'm starting to get sick watching the darn thing. But <laughs> you know what I mean? It, don't, don't you agree, Nick? If you just well, left yeah, it stationary? It was, it was like, it was like someone um, filming a table tennis match. Exactly. They're following the ball. Right. Back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, it, well. kind of, it was kind of jarring, actually. But, but uh, I mean, to be fair, though, it's a pretty hard thing to see. Mm-hmm. And uh, I suspect they had to, like, zoom in. Mm, but, probably uh, so. It, I don't know how. They, they Perhaps they get underneath it next time and film upwards or something. Yeah. To, because it was very hard to, to follow what mm-hmm. the glider was actually doing. Um, but uh, it was amazing how fast it was going. I was like, that can't be right. I mean, there's a picture of the guy launching the glider, and it's what would you say the wingspan is like two meters, maybe, Nick? A little bit more. Yeah, than maybe, more. Maybe it's about, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. A very impressive looking piece of kit, you know, sleek, very, very long, thin wings and a T tail with this incredibly narrow uh, fuselage but built incredibly strongly to be able to withstand the shearing of the wind in this, in the conditions that they have to fly. So, you know, it, re- it relies on flying the aircraft into, or the, the model, into two different airflows, uh, one of which is uh, slow-moving air, and above it is very fast-moving air. And the pilot alternates between climbing up into the very fast-moving air, whereupon he turns it around and it flies downwind incredibly fast uh, and then he turns it back sort of into wind but now he's in the slow moving air so he descends it turns it into wind and then tracks it along in the slow moving air until he goes back up into the fast moving air and just generates the most phenomenal speed and the thing is like whipping around mm-hmm. uh, and he's a turn every few seconds mm-hmm. uh, how the hell he he keeps orientated. I have no idea. Or how the wings don't get ripped well, off the darn thing. Well, apparently, it's making uh, all the turns because it needs to go downwind to gain speed, and then mm-hmm. 
keep doing that so it can keep yeah. increasing. I, the, I guess it's the, called the turns the generate over a hundred G. So wow. you know the model must be incredibly strong. Wow, mm-hmm. it's called dynamic soaring. Uh, the person that wrote this article says, when I first heard about specialized uh, radio control support called dynamic soaring, I had to give my head a shake. A friend pulled up a YouTube video where a special glider operated by remote control was flying well more than 500 miles per hour. It was also flying a very rapid elliptical pattern that just seemed to keep giving the aircraft more and more energy. Really, I could scarcely believe what I was seeing. And by the way, in this video, you can hear somebody in the background. I guess they have some kind of a device that's tracking the speed of this thing. And they're like just calling out the numbers. And I think they start at 300 something and then they're in the 400s and then they start getting to the low 500s. I'm thinking, really? How in the world is it? But you, if you see this video, you see that thing whipping around, you can definitely see how it's flying that fast at 548. Uh, this dynamic soaring thing, I think Nick just kind of tried to explain a little of it, and it's still kind of hard for me to understand. Uh, but according to a Wikipedia entry for dynamic soaring, it says radio control glider pilots perform dynamic soaring using the leeward side of ground features, such as ridges, saddles, or even rows of trees. If the ridge faces the wind and has a steep back or leeward side, it can cause flow separation of the top of the hill, resulting in a layer of fast air moving over the top of a volume of stagnant or reverse flow air behind the hill. The velocity gradient or wind shear can be much greater than those used by birds or full-scale sailplanes. The higher gradient allows for correspondingly greater energy extraction, resulting in much higher speeds for the aircraft. Models repeatedly cross the shear layer by flying in a circular path, penetrating a fast-moving headwind after flying up the backside, turning to fly with the wind, diving down through the shear layer into the stagnant stagnant air, and turning again to fly back up the backside of the hill. <laughs> the loads cause that reminds me of the uh, Angel Falls and the backslope or whatever the what we said. <laughs> um, the loads caused by rapid turning at high speed. The fa- as Nick mentioned, the fastest models can pull over 100 Gs, require significant structural reinforcement in the fuselage and wing. Because of this, dynamic soaring models are commonly built using composite materials. God, I guess they'd have to be. Otherwise, they'd just yeah, completely fall apart. A very apart. specialist and, and expensive a hobby, I would have thought, because it can't be cheap building those models. No. What a, what a thing to do there. Yeah, you really, check this out. Uh, we'll, obviously, uh, you'll see this uh, all these links in the uh, the show notes for the videos and the, this article uh, from dronedj.com. Um, yeah, thank you, Jeffrey, for sending that in. Never, ever heard of this thing. It was hard for me to believe it until I saw the video. All right. Anything else to be said about that? No. no. All right. Um, Greg, our big-ass fan fan and greg peterson in uh, lexington kentucky he says hey, hey crew hope everybody's doing well and staying healthy i have a story in reference to the story about the 747 at kilos um i mean yeah kilo charlie alpha echo uh columbia uh south carolina that lost in quotes a winglet and the size of taxiways and the aircraft that they can accommodate when i was in college in the early 90s I was a member of the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics, and we were, I mean, aren't we all? Um, and we were helping out with a, an air show that was being held at Bluegrass Airport, and that's uh, Lexington KLEX. Two of the static display aircraft were C-5A and a KC-10. Both of those are fairly large aircraft for Lexington, 
Lexington's main runway then and now is runway 422 and is right about 7,000 feet long. I know that Captain Jeff has flown into Lexington, but may not remember a whole lot about it. I do, actually. I used to fly there a lot in the 727. Pardon me, Liz? Have you got amnesia or something? I I do. Well, you know, I'm getting old, you know, so Mm. Greg is just... You know, he, he has anecdotal experience with me and knows that I, you know, I, I don't remember everything. Um, anyway, um, there's a taxiway that runs parallel and to the southeast of the main runway. The main terminal and apron where the static displays were going to be uh, located is in the northeast corner of the property. The C5 arrived first and landed on runway 22, so he had to taxi back to the terminal area. The KC-10 was right behind him and performed three missed approaches while the C-5 was taxiing because the wing of the C-5 was hanging over the main runway runway while he was taxiing. The layout of Lexington has changed a little since the early 90s, but the main runway and the parallel taxiway have basically remained the same. The distance between the center lines is about 310 feet, and the taxiway is only 75 feet wide. I'd say that is pretty tight for a C-5. But they made it to the ramp, and the KC-10 was finally able to land and taxi back as well. We also got a uh, 747 in here from time to time. The plane belongs to the Sheik of Dubai, who owns one of the horse farms in the area. I'm told that he receives a $10,000 fine from the FAA every time he lands in Lexington because the airport is not rated for 747 traffic. I've attached a picture of the Sheik's 747, so... That means I should probably I guess just add that into the cost of getting to yeah. Lexington. Like, what's ten thousand bucks? Come on. Yeah, it's not a very chic looking seven forty seven though, is it? No, I you'd mean, think that there'd be a boring. a chicier paint job than this. Very plain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that! There's a uh, some Acme gates in the background there. Although that's mm. uh, an art. Yeah, it's been a while since we've flown any mainline. Acme Air uh, to Lexington, which is a shame. I really enjoy the Lexington bluegrass um, layovers. Yeah, so thank you uh, for sending in that um, photo of the Sheik 747, uh, Greg. And he also um, sent in a link to something he saw on the news recently. Now, I'm very sad that I missed this. Yeah, me too. Hmm. Uh, Oh, you mean like actually being on the airplane? Actually, well, just in the airport. Yeah. Oh, he says, so much for the ban on animals in the cabin. Okay, here's a feel-good story for the podcast, but maybe the FAA needs to put him on the no-fly list for, quote, hopping around the rules. Boom. That's a good one, Greg. This is from simpleflying.com. Cute. Kangaroo flies aboard American Airlines flight out of Charlotte. And uh, this was written by Andrew Curran on the 18th of January, 2021. Even the most jaded passenger would have done a double take at Charlotte Airport on the weekend. A kangaroo, clearly a long way from home, hopped aboard an American Airlines flight from Charlotte to Newport News, Virginia. The Joey, called Kylo Roo, was lured down the aisle by an American Airlines employee waving a snuggly pouch. After getting more attention from American Airlines than the best concierge key passenger, Kylo Roo managed not to disgrace himself and handled the extensive papping with considerable sangfroid. Wow, this person is using fancy words. Um, mm. So, are you a concierge key a passenger? No. Oh. They are like, I don't know, special invites. Uh, the the elite of the elites? The, the yes. Okay. Best of the best. Well. Is that like getting the key to the executive bathroom? 
I mean, I would hope that would come with it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. Kylo Rue's trip was from Charlotte to Newport News. He was accompanying his handler on the flight and being relocated as part of a wildlife conservation effort. A flight attendant on the flight posted a footage of Kylo Rue. I'm just going to f- put my hand up. They get wildlife conservation. Do you know how many kangaroos there are in Australia? Do you know how many kangaroos there are in the United States? <laughs> Not many. No idea. But Not many. If you, so we need if, to conserve them, obviously. If you, if you want any, I'm sure the Aussies will be happily happy <laughs> to send you a few. <laughs> that was like I was just talking about this with someone the other day when I was um, – on a trip to India a few years back, and we managed to end up at a zoo. And many of the exhibits were um, deer exhibits. I was like, deer, we have a deer everywhere here. <laughs> I don't want to see any more deer. I don't want to see any, please, no more deer. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, let's see. Um, it, so I guess um, the flight attendant on the flight posted footage of Kylo Rue boarding the plane on Instagram. That footage was picked up by his mates and was soon flooding social media feeds. Kylo Rue appeared ambivalent about the attention, stopping on the jet bridge to sniff a few corners and give a disdainful look at the cell phones trained on him before making a bolt to the plane's door. Once on board, an airlines, uh, American Airlines employee steered Kylo Rue away from first class and down towards the back of the plane. His handler was following behind, probably carrying his bags. Sounds like this kangaroo is part of the concierge key. Yeah, it really membership. does. A mm-hmm. celebrity kangaroo, mm-hmm. apparently. Um, anyway, a, a feel-good story, if you, uh, especially if you like those little kangaroos. So we'll have that in the show notes as well. Thank you, Greg, for sending it in. All right. Um, I think we can get another one in here before we start the plain tales. This is from Texas and Lashock. It says, greetings, Captain Jeff and APG crew. Hope you had a good New Year's and are more or less recovered from the holiday season. I got a surprising aviation gift when my sister, who works at a home furnishing store, got me a framed patent diagram, or patent, Nick would say, of a biplane by one William Douglas Clark. Any aviation-related items turn up in your stockings this year? Yes, all of our little, um, all the hosts on the APG uh, and... Uh, everybody on the crew, actually, Liz got one too, a little tiny, um, stocking and inside were, were a, a personalized luggage tag for all of us. That was Michael Cochran that sent us uh, that little aviation related. That, that's item very true. And one of my big presents from Jilly this year was my, uh, flying suit patches. Yeah. Oh, that was great. Up on the wall. Yeah. yeah. And we, we had about our, that on our, our new previous mini DJI drone. Oh yeah, huh? was it in your there stocking? You no, it oh. was. I I purchased that gift for someone else, uh. but mostly because I wanted to. Tinker you purchased with it, it for bit. someone yeah. else, but obviously didn't give it to them, so you kept it. Is that right? <laughs> no, I did. I did. Oh okay. You bought it for yourself, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Who better Wrapped to buy it, for? Put it under the tree. <laughs> oh look. Yeah. What is this? Who is wow, this? Wow, someone knew exactly what I wanted. It's exactly the model I was hoping for. <laughs> nice one. Uh, he says, in other news, if you recall a while back, I shared a story about Virgin Orbit's Cosmic Girl on her first test deployment. I guess that's a 747, right? Uh, launch yep. platform. They've recently done it again, and this time they actually place satellites in orbit. And he gives us a link to the Virgin Orbit launch. And we'll have that in the show notes for you. I guess this means they are now open for business. 
good luck to them and lots of business, especially if they get enough to warrant bringing any other 7-4s into their operation. Any reason to keep the queen flying, right? Anyway, best wishes for the new year. Hope the pandemic will finally start to wind down and we can get back to the business of flying. Until then, this is Texas and LaShock signing off. Thank you, Texas. Or Mr. Ann LaShock, if you prefer. Um, I think you can do Chuck's okay. for the PT. So Chuck, or I don't know, is he still here with us in he the live left. audience? He oh, just he, he just left. Just in the I point don't... of leaving. I don't know if he's still with us. Dang it, I hope he's still with he us. He had a civil air patrol meeting. Oh, okay. Interesting. Okay, well, here you go. Um, this is from Chuck. And uh, we mentioned him earlier because he was one of our Coffee Fund um, cadre, our newest member of the Coffee Fund cadre. Uh, Greetings, APG crew. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for your much-valued contributions to the aviation community. I discovered your podcast a short time ago while completing my instrument rating back in November. The chemistry among the crew makes the time pass quickly during my long-distance walk runs. Just made a donation to the Coffee Fund. I appreciate your continued impact to my continued aviation education and hope our professional or personal paths cross soon. Warmest regards, Chuck Kanjurski. And as uh, I think um, Steph mentioned, he uh, gave us a, um, uh, what do you call that? A, um, Nick mentioned phonetic, it Or Nick did, okay. Yeah. A phonetic pronunciation, um, guide. pronunciation guide of his last name. Um, Kanjurski. Uh, just for you and I, Steph, of course, would have got it perfectly first go. Kanjurski. Without that. Yeah. What, and why wouldn't she have? Because she's because just a, he, he writes. Grew up he, in, oh, yeah. He, uh, he, he pronounced Kanjurski as I hear how you, minus Steph, butcher city names. Oh, yeah. Steph never butchers city names. Never, uh, never, ever, ever, right. ever. She ever. nails it every time. Pretty good with those, you know, <laughs> last names, though. <laughs> Um, yeah, his home airport is Harford County Airport, Harford County, Maryland, which is zero whiskey three. No. Yeah. Zero whiskey three. That's a zero, isn't it? Not an O. Yeah. Zero. Okay. Um, flying has taught me. Oh, and then he sent in a follow-up and we had a little email exchange. Um, he says, flying has taught me. I am forever a student in aviation and life. With a 17-year-old daughter who is a student pilot with dreams of becoming an aerospace engineer, it's amazing to see my passions at that point in my life in her. I just finished listening to episode 448, Lest We Forget. As a former Air Force and Air National Guard Mustang, nine years enlisted and 14 years plus as an officer, I thank the APG veterans for their service to their respective nations. I appreciate all you guys do for the community and look forward to your continued successes. I hope to catch a live recording session soon. And he did. <laughs> Regards, Chuck. And I'm just so sorry that he left before we had a chance to uh, do his feedback. Timing is everything. Yeah, it is. Um, that's great. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more from Chuck in the future. And thanks for sending in the feedback. And, and I really envy you, uh, Chuck, you know, you're talking about your 17-year-old daughter who has a passion for flying as well and being an aerospace engineer. None of my three children had any desire whatsoever to follow in dad's footsteps in aviation, sadly, or even military Yeah, service. I'm the same. And, uh, you know, my kids, no interest. Uh, and I was uh, lucky uh, in that my father's a pilot. My brother became a ground engineer, uh, but the other brother 
not not interested. Mm-hmm. My dogs haven't shown any noticeable interest <laughs> sure? in becoming pilots themselves. That's disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> a little bit. Well, it is a bit, but the and Soviets, has such so they still ears, have a... You would think that would, you know, he could yeah. dumbo action there. Yeah. Huh? Uh, the Soviets, don't they still have a space program for dogs? Probably. <laughs> Probably. No, not sure. that's me. <laughs> Let's say, no, that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> Covering Poppy here. <laughs> yes, Poppy would be perfect for that program for sure. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Uh, well, you could make Poppy a parachute, and Steph could toss her out no. well, of the airplane. Like Let's do some alliteration here. Float gently to the <laughs> Poppy parachuting. Poppy. Possibly. Possibly. Pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Very much a stretch. Uh, Okay, uh, PT time. Yeah, okay. Liz is saying, let's move on. Let's move on, crew. And it's now time for this week's installment of the Old Pilot's Plane Tales. And this one's entitled RAF Form 414, Volume 9. Here we go. Take it away. The Old Pilot's Plane Tales. RAF Form 414, Volume 9. It's the beginning of 1981, but for me it was the conclusion of my first frontline tour of duty. Most military organizations don't let you sit in one place for long. You stagnate and become complacent, inflexible and settled. They want their people to gain experience, cross-fertilize and expand their ability so that in the future they have a broad base of skills to grow from. In 19 years of service, my wife and I lived in 13 different houses, as I moved around from one posting and course to another. My final months with the Fighting Cox was full of new achievements, and I was hoping to take my keen enthusiasm to another Phantom Squadron closer to the front line in RAF Germany. For me, this was where the action was. Belting up and down the North German plains, bouncing the NATO fighters that lived and worked there. Harriers, F-104s, Jags, Eagles, F-16s, A-10s and the rest. I was working hard to finish my tour on a high and after an exciting period of dissimilar air combat, I was given the lead of a 2v2 air combat sortie against Harriers. I worked hard writing up the brief, delivering it to the other pilots in the formation, most of whom were senior and much more experienced than I, and then leading and fighting the mission, all the time making notes about the tactics, manoeuvres, kills and disengagements, so that when we returned, I could recall the entire flight for the debrief. This is sometimes the hardest part of a mission for the leader. You only see the engagements from one perspective, and the skill is to fill in the blanks using everyone else's recollections. Pilots nowadays have digital recordings and computerized 3D ranges to fight in, where every tiny movement of every participant is recorded and replayed. 
Our tools were chalk and a blackboard to talk our way to a conclusion and extract all the lessons we could the old-fashioned way. This was my air combat leader's check ride. At the time, our station, RAF Lucas, was flying many days of pretend wars called minivals, as we were vulnerable for the big one soon, a tacky val. NATO regularly assessed combat units in practice wars called tactical evaluations, when a large team of umpires would descend on a base, usually at some ungodly hour of the morning, and hand the station commander a note telling him he was at war. The sirens would sound, the station tannoy system would start calling everyone to work, and the Land Rovers, with loudspeakers blaring, would drive around the married patch, announcing, Tacky-val, 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 report to your place of duty immediately. We would grab our war kit, gas masks, bag, and for three or four days, we would be locked on the base fighting a war whilst the evaluators watched with keen interest, all the time making notes on clipboards. The results were vital for the senior officers as a bad mark could result in their immediate replacement and might ruin an otherwise solid career. Our squadron was scattered around various dispersed operations locations, and the aircraft parked in between big concrete revetments. We weren't a front-line combat squadron in Germany, with their hardened aircraft shelters and accommodation. That was still a long way off for us. For the duration, we lived and slept in damp, smelly porter cabins that, for 360 days of the year, sat and leaked in remote corners of the airfield. I was still pretty junior and didn't get much flying. At times I was even put on guard duty around the barbed wire perimeter with my 9mm pistol. On day three, when late in the night the Tachyval observers activated the nuclear attack warning, both squadrons went into a survival scramble, and every serviceable aircraft was thrown into the air as an alternative to trying to survive on the ground. The sight of thirty-odd phantoms firing up and taxiing at breakneck speed to the runway threshold was something to behold. Nobody stopped. There were no take-off clearances, just a continuous transmission from the tower, giving the altimeter pressure setting and the runway in use. When the aircraft reached the runway, the glare of reheats lit the night sky. As seconds apart, they streamed off into the dark Scottish sky. Within a few short minutes, the entire complement of aircraft had gone, and an eerie silence fell over the airbase. I was in the front of a broken phantom, watching in envy as the rest of the boys had fun, or so I thought. In reality, when in later years I had a go, I discovered that after the excitement of launching and trying not to run into someone else during the climb-out, drilling holes in the sky at endurance speed for several hours wasn't actually much fun. There was very little trade for all those fighters. When all had gone quiet... I got off my wooden crate, 
My aircraft only had one engine and no ejector seat, but had it been wartime, it was theoretically airworthy. And I headed in for a nice hot coffee. As my tour wound down, I note that I led a three-ship against six A-10s, who were up for a fight. They weren't hard to find, but very difficult to pin down. The warthog can turn on a sixpence, so could easily break to avoid a head-on missile, and then turn back to stop our stern-aspect heat-seekers. The one thing they couldn't do effectively was run away, so we split up, and separated a few miles, and then coordinated our return so that we would pounce simultaneously from different points of the compass. Any turn they made would present a shot to at least one of us, and if that didn't work on the first pass, we could just bug out of sight at 600 knots and come back again. Great fun, and a super bunch of guys who were fiercely proud of their tank busters, and even partook of our squadron party trick of eating raw eggs, shell and all, fresh from the girlfriends of our fighting cock. I see that I survived one trip when the dreaded BLC, Boundary Layer Control Caption, illuminated. Our Phantom had pneumatic air bled from the engines into the wings and blown out across them from the leading-edge slats and down the trailing-edge flaps to prevent airflow separation at low speed. The air was extremely hot and could cause considerable damage to the gear and fuel tanks if it entered the wing with no way out. The drills required my nav to immediately locate and pull blue circuit breakers 4 and 5 Charlie on the number 1 panel using his snail fork, a special little tool he had to reach down into the cramped corners of the rear cockpit to flip open the circuit breakers. This would isolate the bleed valves whilst I got the speed back below 250 knots and dropped the gear and flaps. The gear wasn't as important as the flaps, because once they were down, the hot air had somewhere to escape. Then we were supposed to land as soon as possible. A difficult thing to do whilst limping along at approach speed. I note that I was also given an engine air test to do, which, once proven serviceable, then allowed me to do some more low-level intercepts against the 7th Special Operations Squadron Combat Talon C-130, callsign Mull. It was almost my final swan song when we deployed out to Cyprus for my third APC and more air-to-air gunnery. I got some decent scores this time around with a 41% on the operational shoot, but then I see a little cryptic note. Greek gunboats. I previously made mention of the tension between Greece and Turkey over the little island of Cyprus, and as we held off waiting for our turn to go onto the flag, I noticed a couple of gunboats cruising along the coast near our gunnery range. Always interested in a military presence near to our sovereign bases on the island, I dropped down to take a look. Of course, I didn't actually have to pass over them at low level in full burner and then pull up into the vertical, but 
Well, I was young and foolish. On looking back down, what I didn't expect to see was a distinct mark across the calm sea left by my wake, which ended over one of the boats, which was now stopped in the water. Shrugging it off, I took my turn on the flag and got a reasonable score and headed home. I soon realised that something was up when my nav and I were summoned to the boss's carpet and grilled on what we had just done. Apparently, soon after my little escapade, the phones had been red-hot from the air officer commanding Cyprus down and back up to government level. I was the cause. I couldn't be exact about my height, since the sea was pretty flat, but it must have been below 200 feet, as I remember my radar warning going off. The Greeks were furious, claiming damaged aerials and a swamped boat. CJ and I were immediately sent off to don our number one formal uniforms and present ourselves back at the detachment headquarters to wait. Chewing my fingernails, we waited, and waited, and waited. Every time one of the squadron's senior officers passed, we got a glare, and the day dragged on, hour after long hour. Finally, the flying was over, and people started to leave. The building went quiet, and the sun began to set. We'd been up with the dawn for our early morning flight, and had spent the rest of the day on tenterhooks, but we didn't dare leave. Eventually, my flight commander passed by the crew room where we sat in the gathering gloom and looked up in surprise. You two still here? he asked. Go on, disappear. We dashed back to our rooms, changed into Mufti, and I bought CJ a beer as an apology for getting him all caught up in my exuberance. The boss stayed very tight-lipped about it all, but I have the feeling that he put up his big umbrella and kept me dry from the effluent that was pouring down from on high. As an addendum, many years later I was chatting to a senior naval officer at a cocktail party, and he brought a wry smile to my face. He'd served as an air attaché, and he told me about problems that our diplomats were having during discussions with some senior Greek officials. They couldn't make any headway, he grumbled, as the Greeks kept bringing up some incident between their damn gunboats and an RAF fighter. The Greek gunboat incident. I finished my drink and quietly sidled off, trying to nonchalantly whistle. After the gunnery was over, we used the last few days to give the aircraft a shakedown before the long transit home and took the opportunity to give some of the ground crew a back seat ride. I did an air test with Senjo, the senior engineering officer in the back, and then took Corporal Penman for a joyride. We usually did a few aeros and then took them supersonic and brought them back for a fly past of their mates on the flight line. Sadly, our trip ended early with a nasty bang from the left engine as we accelerated beyond Mach 1, and I limped us home for a straight-in approach to land. It turned out that the big hinge on the left-hand movable intake ramp had completely sheared, 
I was very glad that nothing came loose and disappeared down the intake. Back home, and I only had a few days left to serve with 43, but I made the most of it. I was in a bit of a fug as my posting had come through. I had been praying for another frontline tour, this time in Germany, which was the land of milk, honey, great flying and duty-free living. When it came, I was devastated. I'd been posted to number four flying training school at RAF Valley on the island of Anglesey in North Wales, a remote corner in the middle of nowhere doing a job I didn't want. My last week of phantom flying should have been perfect. I flew three days of air combat against sea harriers, ending on the Thursday, and on the Friday I was programmed to fly my final trip, a four-ship of low-level attacks against all comers. It was taken for granted that on returning from that last flight I would have Cant Blanche to beat up the base, which, in a phantom, was an awe-inspiring event. As at zero feet and in full burner, it always looked a magnificent sight. Imagine my feelings then, when taxiing in after my final mission against the Sea Harriers, to see the squadron troop out to meet me as I climbed out with cheers and bottles of champagne. My last trip had been cancelled. Apparently, saying hello to those gunboats was the last in a growing line of sins that had finally caught up with me, and wiser heads than mine had decided that it was best to end on a high rather than risk disaster. In addition, it was also felt that a quiet tour as a flying instructor would allow me to mature more than three years of dashing around Germany at low level could ever do. Looking back, I can see exactly where my superiors were coming from, and in retrospect, they were quite right. But at the time, it hurt like the devil. The blow was softened a little when I got my logbook back from the boss following my final assessment an above-average fighter pilot. Good luck as a QFI, Nick, and thank you for your efforts with 43 Squadron. Thanks, Harry, and rest in peace. For me, it was time to pack up and head off to the Central Flying School at Leeming in Yorkshire, not far from where I learned to fly, and discover how to become an instructor. This would start with six awful weeks of ground instruction on the subject of instructional techniques, using at least four colours on a whiteboard. I climbed onto my trusty 750 Yamaha triple and headed south down the Great North Road to Purgatory, only to discover a crowd of friendly faces waiting for me. It turned out that most of the other student instructors were old friends from the Phantom, Lightning and Jaguar world, and this would be something of a reunion. Sadly, there was one old friend who hadn't made it. Dave was due to be on our course as well. I remember him well as a handsome chap with a strong jaw and great physique. He was a keen climber and had taken me under his wing when, as students, we had clambered up Mount Snowden in the winter. He took me up the Kribgoch, an exposed grade one scramble, 
and by far the toughest main route up Snowdon. It's a knife-edge ridge with steep falls down both sides and in the snow, ice and cloud we bonded in a way that only the shared excitement of a difficult climb can do. Dave had been flying his Jaguar out in America on a red flag exercise in what was his swan song before joining the rest of us at instructor school. Probably the most realistic war exercise in the world he was flying a manoeuvre at ultra-low level to break the radar lock of a simulated Soviet missile system. The three-dimensional manoeuvre, something that he had developed as the Squadron Electronics Warfare Officer, did indeed break the radar lock, but he momentarily lost control too low to recover. Some years later, during my flying supervisor's course, An instructor played a tape of the transmission that the radar controller made at the time. Bird down! Bird down! As Dave spread himself and his Jaguar across the desert. Who's yelling at me? That came through so much louder than the rest of it. it I jumped. I was it was like, not leveled at all. It was like, whoa. <laughs> I had to reach for the fader and bring it down. Yeah, there was a, a bit of dramatic effect in there. That must have been, you know, when I was, because uh, I wasn't expecting it. I had no idea what incident he was talking about, this, this instructor, because we, basically we were looking at case studies of uh, guys that had crashed. And uh, as a flying supervisor, someone who might authorize a mission, what you know, uh, you could learn from these incidents. And it w- suddenly occurred to me that this was Dave's accident. And, you know, it's funny when you, when someone piles in, in a different country, uh, you hadn't seen him for a few years, um, you know, it doesn't impact you nearly as much as it would have done, say, um, Nige, uh, Captain Nige, who we know, who was in Red Flag, uh, at the same time as Dave piled in. So, um, you know, it, for me, I hadn't really uh, taken it on board. It's it's funny, you just don't really think about it too much. And this was some years later, and suddenly I heard this guy talking about and crying about this uh, accident over the radio that happened right in front of him. And I, I honestly, the shivers went down my back, uh, and I went, "Whoa!" And, it, and I was really quite affected by that. Um, took me some time to kind of get over it, um, but uh, yeah, that's sorry, it was a bit loud. But anyway, uh, my thanks to Chuck of uh, the Soaring Podcast. Um, oh, God damn it, is that the proper name for it? Uh, soaring. Uh, anyway. Um, he, he uh, very kindly uh, agreed to do that for me. So let me see if I've got the name of that podcast. Tell him next uh, time he yells so dang loud. Well, it, that was me. When I played it the first time, I thought, oh, that lacks a little impact. So <laughs> okay. I, well, I almost I, fell off my chair, actually. Well, that's good. That, that's, that was it didn't have idea. an impact. <laughs> exactly right well that, that's super chuck fulton uh is the lovely man's uh soaring the sky okay is his uh podcast so uh, uh it's a great podcast for uh if you're interested in gliding so uh yeah 
couple things. Did you say that you, over a 19-year period, were in 13 different houses? Yeah, yeah. Julie and I moved 13 wow. times. Yeah. Wow. Uh, That's crazy. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Well, considering I spent four years uh, at one house in uh, Wales, uh, this tour, I was about to start this instructor's mm -hmm. tour, and I spent three years in one house in Australia. Uh, in While I was in the United Kingdom, I moved about, around very regularly. Wow. Was, under a year on average then in uh, Like don't the UK. unpack anything, just get yeah. ready to go and... Well, yeah, we, didn't, we didn't own much to be fast. So. <laughs> gotcha. The other thing so is, there um, wasn't a, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, so there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't very hard moving because uh, literally we, you know, just don't really you know, open up. Yeah, a couple of <laughs> cover boxes was all we needed. But, yeah. uh, um, you know, you moved uh, to one base for a course, which might only last a few months. And then you'd move to another base to actually do your work for a while. Uh, so it was it was quite common to, you know, each each airplane type I changed to. I'd moved at least twice: once for the conversion and once to actually do the job. Hmm. Well, according to our live audience, they think that these RAF Form fourteen four fourteen logbook. Uh, Plain tails are amongst the best. They really enjoy them. I, I do too. I have to agree. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know <laughs> what? Uh, my first officer enjoyed a little uh, excerpt from this one. Um, the first officer in this trip, um, amongst other things that he flew in the U.S. Air Force, um, is the uh, A-10 Thunderbolt. Hey, Jen. Um, and uh, he, uh, I read him the little part of it where you were talking about uh, the sorties uh, versus the uh, the A-10 uh, warthogs, and uh, he got a kick out of that. Well, they were hard airplanes to uh, um, shoot down. And in fact, the, a tactic I borrowed uh, from the Polish Air Force uh, was called the Polish Heart Attack. Uh, and uh, basically, you split your formation. You made a head-on attack, and then you split your formation out, uh, and then got out of visual range, and then turned back in and came in at the A-10s from their beam, um, which was harder for them to see mm -hmm. and also meant they, you know, if they turned away from you, they'd turn into the other guy and vice versa. So one mm -hmm. of you might get a, a, a kill. But they just used to do these uh, weaving maneuvers um, that uh, in uh, that just were very hard to follow. It was almost impossible to guns track them because they could so quickly uh, turn an, uh, a decent guns tracking solution into an airplane coming head on at you. And you, you certainly didn't want to be head on to that damn great big Gatling gun they had in the front. You could steer well clear of that. Uh, and the engines were, they, they burned very uh, coolly. Uh, so it was quite hard to get a, a heat seeking missile off. And our radar missiles, they're long range pieces of kit. They're not designed for dogfighting. So, uh, you know, all in all, put it all together, they were a difficult airplane to shoot down. Yeah. He, he when I uh, read him in the part about the fact that you guys were just like split and go for a couple of miles away, he goes, yeah, they would disappear. We'd never see them. But he said something about the, um, about doing something in the vertical sometimes that really um, baffled a lot of people when they were fighting, you know, different types of airplanes. I'm not sure exactly. I can't imagine an A-10 doing too much in the vertical. But I, I think they probably could. But yeah. uh, to be fair, um, 
because we were doing this at very low level, uh, we're literally fighting uh, 250 feet um, above the ground. Their manoeuvres were limited to a certain extent. Uh, they weren't allowed to do extreme manoeuvres that they might do a, a, in a full combat mission. But if you're going to fly a full combat mission, you have to be base height 10,000 feet uh, so that you've got time to recover if you make a big mistake. Uh, so they were allowed to do quite hard turning maneuvers, but they, they didn't do a lot in the vertical. Um, so uh, that was probably a limitation that wouldn't happen in real life. Well, very good stuff. Um, thanks for, well, thanks for doing the plain tales to begin with, but these uh, logbook um, entries are always uh, reminiscences. Of, yeah, the reminiscences. reminiscences well, I, I do enjoy it, and nice. I have to formally apologize to the uh, the Greek Navy. I'm sorry about that, guys. <laughs> you know, I think they've gotten over I'm sure it. they don't hold any <laughs> grudges or hurt feelings. <laughs> well, I hope, no, I hope not. I quite like Greek food. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. And they all know each other. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's great. I guess now we can continue with eight. Uh, Paul um, says, I have a couple of questions about the recent Jet 2 incident at East Midlands Airport in the UK. Uh, We talked about it on episode 453 that I would be very grateful for your feedback on. I was surprised to note that the captain, having rejected takeoff a whole five seconds after V1, a really long time, still had 2,000 feet of runway remaining once they had stopped. Over 20% of the ASDA, I guess that's the available stopping distance? Uh, aircraft stopping distance available. available. Okay. How is this possible? I guess the aircraft must have been underweight allowing a low V1 to be selected. This would mean that the aircraft was go-orientated despite the gusty conditions. Do you think the V1 selected was too low? Would the value of V1 as selected from the range available be chosen by the captain or the company? Incidentally, I'm an ATPL cadet, currently halfway through my foundation flying training in Ponta de Sor, Portugal, having completed ground school in the UK in the summer of last year. Our final module of ground school coincided with the start of the pandemic, so we completed the theoretical knowledge training using Zoom and were amongst the first students to take ATPL exams following the relaxation of the first UK lockdown. I can happily confirm for Captain Nick that station circles were not in the meteorology learning objectives of the UK CAA ATPL syllabus. Were you ducky so and so? Yeah, really. <laughs> and this is again. Cheers, uh, Paul Wilson. He says, "P.S. I've been a listener since 2012. Whoa, oh, that's man. been a long time. Now you'll, you'll recall so, that I started the show in 20, 2009, and then in 2015 was when uh, Steph and um, Rick joined me." Mm-hmm. She just passed her six-year anniversary. Yeah, in fact, uh, we should last, have mentioned that Saturday. in the Getting to Know Us segment. Uh, last, was it Saturday, Liz? Last Saturday. Yeah. Last Saturday was the anniversary. This Public holiday uh, in Spackalaki. The sixth, the sixth anniversary? Six, six wow. Years. Yeah, six. yeah, sixth year anniversary of the first episode that uh, Steph was on in uh, 2015. So, uh, yeah, 2012. So he's he was around in the old, good the good old days, <laughs> the OG when, uh, days, the old days, the he old was school so days. So glad when Rick and Steph joined. I'm sure he was. Uh, he can probably he would agree with me if, uh, when I say 
that uh, having Steph and Rick and Nick join or just having co-hosts at all uh, really was a really terrible mistake. Was a terrible mistake. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was. Right. A, it was a great. That's move. when you dropped to fifty percent. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not sure when I when I kind of adopted the fifty percent um, uh, philosophy. Just confirmation that all of us only know about fifty percent. So I mean, you kind of add all of it together and <laughs> it comes out to. 60 percent i don't know i don't know i'm not sure i'm Probably not very good at statistics <laughs> no i'm so happy that uh now it's uh i i get to do this show with all these great folks on the crew and uh, it's just uh been a highlight of my life so anyway um paul thank you for sending in the feedback thank you for being a listener since 2012 that's hardcore and uh let's see uh, oh so he is asking about the um the uh, aircraft's uh, stopping distance available and the V1 on that incident with the um, East Midlands Jet 2. Um, what, what what would you say about that, uh, Steph or, or Nick? I'm going to leave that more to... <laughs> <laughs> well, I wish Rick was here. I was going to say... He, yeah, he has a much be better the, grasp yeah. on this than I do. He has um, some but, balance uh, field calculation explanation. Yeah, let, let, let's first of all look at balance field. Yeah. Uh, so balance field means that you calculate a V1 that basically allows you to accelerate and then stop and you'll lose use the full... Uh, existing length the runway and I'm a bit surprised that East Midlands uh, is bigger than that because if the runway gets really big uh, then obviously to use balance field you're going to have to use such a low power setting to get airborne it becomes impractical if not outside the aircraft's limitations so uh, you would have a, a V1 that would be uh, normal but it would probably be also equal to your rotate speed so as you got airborne that was your decision and uh, you know you would if you decided to reject at that point you probably have plenty of runway left when you ground to a halt um, when it comes to uh, why they stopped with so much runway left um, it is possible of course that the uh, aircraft stopping distance available was very big because there was a large overrun uh, that still wouldn't really affect things but don't forget that a rejection is not uh, reliant on the thrust reverses so you uh, when you reject takeoff you calculate your stopping distance based purely on your brakes not your thrust reverses once you engage the thrust reverses that is an additional aid and the the idea behind that is, of course, you might be rejecting the aircraft because of engine failures. So, if you have an engine, if you have double engine failure, can you reject the takeoff? Then you're not going to have thrust reverses. So, you can't include them in the calculations. You only rely on the brakes. And those thrust reverses can be very effective. Um, so, that it seems unlikely that it would account for. 2,000 feet, but no. it might do. I think it, you're right. You know, it's, the runway was probably so long and they were probably so light that it just worked out that the, you know, the, the stopping distance available was way more than what the stopping distance would be on a balanced field length calculation. So, yeah, I, I, I'm guessing that's probably a combination of, of the factors. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. I don't think. Rick could have done any better than that. No, Nick. I was going to say, I think that was perfect. And you did it in probably <laughs> one-tenth of the time that Rick would have taken to explain well, all I'm that. Well, I'm glad the frogs didn't start. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. 
Anything to add, Steph? No, that sounds great to me. Okay. Not usually something <laughs> I have to worry about in the aircraft that I fly at most of the no? airports that I fly at. Yeah. Not, not a whole lot. Yeah. Well, to be fair, Steph, uh, in all of my military flying, I didn't have to ever worry about that because we took off every takeoff in full burner. Uh, and we were airborne, you know, halfway down the runway. So mm-hmm. if ever we tried to stop, we had heaps of runway left. We didn't really worry too much about it. I mean, if, if anything, our, uh, half the time I could probably take off and then land back on the runway and stop. <laughs> a couple and then of times. take off again. <laughs> and then take off again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a more common scenario for me. <laughs> That's the, the 717, the Boeing, the Boeing 717 that I'm flying. Um, and we're flying so few passengers, and so the, these things are very light, and it's pretty good thrust-weight ratio of this jet, and it's amazing to me. It almost feels like I'm taking off in burners. You must have a real uh, climb angle. You, yeah, we're always the- – uh, Mad Dog was the same way, 20 degrees, and we had to – sometimes it – you know, you could you could go more than twenty degrees, but we, you know, our our oper- our uh, uh, policy says, you know, keep it at twenty degrees max, and then just accept uh, an acceleration of uh, airspeed um, beyond that. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, a very short takeoff roll, and this is using you know flex takeoff, assumed temperature. We talked about that on the last episode, um, and so still even at the lower uh, takeoff thrust settings. Um, the thing still like a little, you know, pocket rocket. So pretty cool. Yeah, I have to think back to my days when we first got our 340s, uh, the old C2 variant with the underpowered engines. And uh, if you were max takeoff weight, uh, you know, you it was you'd rotate and you'd wait and the nose would like come up and then you'd hang around a bit and eventually you'd get airborne. And between gear up between that and something else happening you could have had a full three-course meal <laughs> i was gonna you say know, you, because, you had dinner and, <laughs> are we off the ground yet yeah everything happened in slow motion uh it really was weird everybody fell asleep oh, oh gear up gear up yeah. positive rate <laughs> i think so, pot's pot no yeah, we do have a positive yeah. rate gear. Oh, yeah, where's she at, one yet? I hope soon because we're running out of runway. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yes, as Lane says, wait for the earth to curve away. I think I've yeah. heard Nick right. mention that. Look, I can make that joke, Lane, but you can't, all right? <laughs> it's funny when Nick says it that it's, yeah. it hurts his feelings if you say it. It's insulting when other people <laughs> say it. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Jason, uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, Aloha, Mm -hmm. Captains Jeff, Steph, Nick, Rick, and Commander Liz. Thank you for faithfully delivering such an entertaining show. Since beginning to listen to the podcast almost a year ago, I believe I have developed the syndrome. Oh, no. Sorry, Jason. In this show. In the middle (laughs) of a pandemic. In the middle of of a pandemic, too. Yeah. That's sad. I can't wait for new episodes to come out. And when they do, I ravenously devour the entire three plus hours while driving about my business. Every time there is a delay in the posting of a new episode, I find myself getting edgy as I anxiously oh, await new content. Withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> I know. Oh, and it's making, no. I, I kind of feel bad now. I, I need to really get I on do. This, get I do. Is, is that a new symptom, Steph? <laughs> I mean, it's it's Edginess? up there with the most severe cases. <laughs> the most severe cases have that symptom. 
I hope he doesn't go postal, though. You know, Please that would be a bad thing. Okay. Uh, you have all managed to make the news and events not only more interesting with your various comments and reactions, although factually, I don't think that it's anywhere near 50%. No, I just added that part. But also educational <laughs> with your experienced insights. As a 150-hour-plus private pilot pursuing an instrument rating and beyond, I, too, hope to one day be a walking, or rather flying, Wikipedia of knowledge. Okay, pop that Wikipedia. There you go. Awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jason, look, if you want to enjoy yourself in your job and make lots of friends, uh, you, you that's one thing. But you can't be a Wikipedia and do that, you know. Oh no, no, you're you'll you'll be on your own, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sitting money. in the corner of the bar, no one will want to come and talk to you because every time they do, you'll quote some or correct them all the time and quote some factual uh, information that they'd never heard of before. Be careful how you use that. Relegated to. <laughs> a life of being a podcast host. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's sad. Worst sad thing ever. situation right there. <laughs> so sad. Anyway, uh, Jason continues. Sad, I've, sad situation. <laughs> it is a sad, sad situation. Okay, let's see. I need to find it. See how quickly I can do it. Uh, no, I'm not even anywhere near. Put it in post. Nah, I'm not going to do it in post. I'm going to do yeah, it now. That one is, that one is Here we go. Hit yes. away. In a- uh, well done. <laughs> I don't know how you could get more and more absurd, but yeah. Okay, I've included a link to some daredevil corporate flying gone terribly wrong that I thought you might find interesting and entertaining. I did. Perhaps you've already been forwarded this piece of aviation news. Nope. But if not, I really do hope you deem it worthy of being included in your next show. We did. It would be very amusing to hear all of your reactions to such an absurd scenario as that presented in the article. Until then, stay safe, blue skies, and tailwinds. And here's the link. This is from the website plus7-5.co.uk. What the heck does that mean? Plus 7 minus 5. Reference to like figuring out Fahrenheit from Celsius or something? Uh, I don't know. No, no. No idea. Um, Plus 7 minus 5. Huh. Well, know. anyway, two. You could have two. Just it could have been www.2.co.uk. Uh, sincerely, Jason Osbolt, and they included a really cute picture. Hang of, on a minute. Plus five, plus seven, seven minus five are G limits. Oh, there you go. There you go. Nick, you're such a smart guy. <laughs> and that makes that makes brilliant. a lot of sense now, considering yeah, the topic brilliant. of this. Uh, yes, that's uh, exactly. That's not it. Um, Brilliant. Where's brilliant? <laughs> I wasn't good at the news. <laughs> <laughs> well, looks like uh, the brilliant file is missing, so I can't play it. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, okay. I'm trying to do that while at the same time trying to share this beautiful picture of Jason and his son. Uh, hang on. Okay. Uh, share screen application window. Here we go. Share. There we go. Isn't that cute? Super cute. Yeah. Look. It's a very handsome pilot, and there's Jason there as well. <laughs> very, very cool. Okay, I'm going to stop sharing. Absolutely so I can brilliant. Read the rest of this. Oh. Um, okay, um, so um, he sends us this link to this crazy story. Did you guys have a chance to, uh, to read this? Yes. Yeah, I did. Uh, okay, it terrified me. Yeah. 
So amazing, um, absurd. <laughs> amazingly absurd. Yeah, good. Um, let's see. Uh, so it starts off by saying, "Okay, where is it from again?" Uh, oh yeah, plus seven minus five. Um, contract pilot. Guess you never know what you're hiring. Unbelievable. A Hawker 800 XP snap rolled three to four times. Ripples are one to two inches deep, and they run almost the entire length of the plane on both sides. The fuselage windows weren't level anymore when you stood back and looked at them. I heard it torqued so badly that the interior galley drawers and cabinets were jammed and wouldn't open. I don't know if that's true. Uh, I'll share these photos here in a minute. You can see the area just above the wing roots. They are rippled from the leading edge to the trailing edge. I can tell you where the wings mate to the fuselage. It's like Ripple City, and the rivets and screws look like they were riding on waves. In between each window, the same ripples as the other side. Um, wow. Bless you. <laughs> Sorry. I was quite quick. What was that? Mute. <laughs> it was a portion of a sneeze oh, that he tried half to mute. A, half a sneeze. <laughs> All I heard was like an electronic sound. Like, <laughs> that was it a was very snuff. electronic. It wasn't a sneeze. It was a snuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yeah, bless you. I appreciate that. Sorry about that, everybody. Oh, that's right. Um, okay. Story. This is what I was told by the people that were there when the plane rolled in. They are employees of the FBO and know the owner and everyone involved And the, um, the airport and FBO, the FBO and the airport was the, uh, Florida, was it called a uh, Fort Lauderdale executive? I think FXE. FXE. Yeah, um, so it, the airplane came from Mexico back to Florida executive or Fort, Fort Lauderdale Executive Airport. The captain that flew it back was a licensed Mexican pilot, no FAA licenses or ratings. Uh, the captain was hired as a contract pilot just for this trip. The co-pilot was from here, and he was also just used as a contract pilot to get the plane back here. When they got back to FXE, where the owner was waiting, of course, they flipped out as the plane rolled into parking. The captain or the co-pilot had no idea yet of the damage that was caused. When asked what the mm, happened, he apparently at some point said he made a hard landing. <laughs> Yet the tires and the gear were perfect. The FAA and insurance company had questioned them on what happened, and they stuck to that story for nine days. Finally, the co-pilot talked. Good for him, by the way. He said the captain wanted to snap roll it. Not aileron roll it. Snap roll it like a pits. Fuel wing, uh, full wing fuel too moron supposedly it was done three to four times by this time when the co-pilot talked the captain had gone back to mexico not sure yet what the faa is going to do with the co-pilot though he'll probably get a pass he was just flying with a scumbag captain <laughs> he should have smacked him in the mouth and took the controls but that's just me it's being well if he'd been carrying a baseball bat like mm -hmm. dana yeah does, that's right would've... dana would have taken care of that <laughs> oh, <yes>. <laughs> <laughs> it's being fixed i guess and returning to the service I can't. I can't imagine them being that? able to fix this airplane. Uh, no, uh, it takes some doing. Yeah, I heard it was very low time and only a few years old. I think oh, it was actually really. more than a few years old. I think it was like um, I looked it up. The registration was like nineteen eighty-seven or something. It's kind of an old airplane. Oh, uh, they're not going to fix. Or maybe that. not that old, but oh it's it's gosh. definitely not more. It's more than a few years old. Um, I certainly wouldn't fly it after seeing what I saw. No way. Maybe someone with more accurate or detailed info could chime in. More to the story. I spoke with the mechanics working on it today. I'm still actually not sure if it will fly again. They are still tearing into it. 
I found out yesterday that the right wing is history, bent beyond repair. You can actually see it up close where the aluminum is actually stretched and separating at some points. They did, it, they did roll it four times. What caused all the damage was when, on the last two rolls, the pilot got scared and cranked the yoke back the other way to stop the roll and go back to upright. He got about halfway around and got scared and jerked it back real hard. That's what twisted everything, instead of continuing the roll in the original direction. What's funny is he got scared on roll number three, then tried it again and got scared again. So it was a hardcore or it was hardcore twisted two times. This wing is trashed and the wing root is twisted. I'm glad uh, Pip isn't watching this. I He'd know. be in tears. Yeah, he would be because this is the airplane that Pip was qualified to fly on before the Lemon. Um, so that's you can kind of see the. Those are pretty darn deep wrinkles right that's there between the windows. I I don't see how in the world this airplane is going to ever be fixed. Uh, we're just going to kind of quickly go through these. Um, Look at that. Yeah, that is just talking about just amazing forces on that. Now I don't, I don't think it took the tail cone off or the, or the engines. No, I think that's, that's just them fixes. fixing it. But yeah, that airplane, I think probably won't fly much again. So, um, I, um, ended up, uh, finding some video of the, uh, the airplane doing the, um, snap roll. So, uh, here, let's go over to your two, uh, uh, here we go. I'm going to play this. So you see it there. Actually, this was another, this wasn't doing the snap rolls. This was just extended, um, inverted flight. And I actually, I think that this pip was actually flying this one right there. <laughs> uh, that's, a, not. that's a joke. I actually, that was, um, video that I, um, ended up inverting. So the airplane wasn't really <laughs> flying inverted. That was very good, though. I actually had B-fold. <laughs> yeah, I don't have video of the uh, airplane flying and getting snap rolled or anything, but uh, wow. So what is a snap roll? I think it's just a, you know, I'm, I'm wondering the same thing. I'm, I know what an aileron roll is, and I think a snap roll is just like a very high rotational, um, uh, accelerated kind of a aileron roll where you... You you snap I I guess I don't know Any, anybody in the chat room an aerobatic pilot well, that, I, sorry I know but uh, oh okay. no, uh, yeah you're right it is but it, the reason it's accelerated is because it's an incipient spin oh uh, what I didn't you know do that. is you you pitch the aircraft very hard until effectively you stall the wings and at the same time you put a boot of rudder in uh, to auto rotate the airplane so the airplane is effectively going into a spin now. You do it at high speed. You don't do it at stalling speed, which would be a gentle, relatively gentle maneuver. But you, if you snatch back on the control column, you can make a wing stall even above the straight level stalling speed because you're just applying lots of alpha and the wing will stall. Mm. It's, it's going to do that. Uh, and at the same time, you apply all this, uh, this rudder, then the airplane will auto-rotate and snap roll uh, so it's um, it's an aerodynamic thing. It's not really caused by the ailerons. You don't need the ailerons to do it. You, uh, the beginning of a sn of a spin, and then you can centralize the controls, and the aircraft will fly weather cock out, fly itself out. Um, the problem is that it puts an enormous amount of 
torsion on the airframe uh, because of the rate of rotation. Uh, and just to give you an idea of how bad it is for an aircraft to do this, none of the military aircraft I flew uh, which were all high-performance uh, machines, including the F-18, were authorized for snap rolls. Uh, you just weren't allowed to fly them because uh, you risked damaging that. And we're talking, you know, F-15 plus 7.8 minus whatever it was, 3, um, and an incredibly strong airframe. So to do it to a, <laughs> to a you know, a private jet an airline a small you know dinky airliner like this absolutely ludicrous um so i you know i i there are very few airplanes other than fully aerobatically um built and qualified airplanes you know like the ones you see at air shows uh, are stressed for these i didn't know what a snap roll was because i never did one when i was doing all my aerobatic flying no in you the wouldn't have done there are, there are very few airplanes okay. that are actually clear to do snap rolls hmm. All right. Well, uh, that is uh, an example of extremely poor airmanship. Neil asks in the chat room, is there a situation to a snap rolling combat? Uh, It's like (laughs) I I always get a great laugh when I see people doing aileron rolls in movies as a combat maneuver. Uh, All you're going to do is die while you're going round and round in circles. Uh, You're not actually changing the direction the airplane's pointing. You're just rotating it around an axis. Uh, So all the time you're doing that, you're not turning. You're just rolling the airplane, even if it's a snap roll. So it has no benefit uh, in combat either. Just a fancy trick maneuver. Okay. Sorry. For some reason, my laptop fan is just going crazy. Oh, so I was actually wondering if it was mine in the background. No, it's, like- it's mine. And I don't know why it's making, uh, I mean, what's caught, I mean, my Google uh, Chrome. It's, it's probably me shouting down the mic microphone. I <laughs> no, I don't think Jeff. it's you. <laughs> no, my Google Chrome right now is using 250% of the resources on my computer. I don't know what Google Chrome is doing. It's thinking very, very. Well, it's, it's working. Trouble is that's the that's the piece of kit that you're using with Streamyard. Yeah, you that's you it. are correct, sir. So I can't <laughs> I can't you, shut down Chrome. Well, I can. <laughs> it's just that that's not a good you idea because I will be gone. Um, Sorry, we'll finish the show without you. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Well, I'm looking. Well, of course you can. You're. More than capable of doing that for sure. Uh, sounds like it might be cooling off. I'm not, again. I don't know what my computer is just doing. Really, really strange things. I need a new computer. I need one of those new M1 chip laptops. Apparently, mm. yeah, baby. So, waiting for that 16 incher. Mm. 16 inches. Huh? Very impressive. I think That's a lot of people it. are. <laughs> okay. Um, hmm. Let's see. We're getting close to the end of the show, and I'm looking at several items in our feedback. Um, Should we do uh, number 10, Liz? Sure. Okay, sure. Uh, Okay, Robert um, writes in and says, I mean, okay. He goes, I mean, I found a $308 round-trip flight to Canada today, but Canada today, but COVID won't let that happen. 
Not sure exactly what he's. Well, okay. The stream of consciousness from Robert, yeah. uh, from uh, Marietta, uh, just just up the road from the big chicken. Anyway, uh, he sent us a link to. Um, is this from Instagram or Twitter? I can't recall. I think it's Twitter. Um, and uh, someone, um, I guess he calls himself the Lazy Garden. Eindhoven spotter. So he's a plane spotter and he uh, posted the um, audio of an Aeromexico flight, flight 26 with uh, Amsterdam tower uh, with a uh, request uh, when they were calling for their clearance. So let's take a listen to this exchange between Aeromexico 26 and Amsterdam tower. Uh, Ground, Aeromexico 026. Aeromexico 026, go ahead. Yes, miss. Uh, is there any chance that we can make a visual climb over Amsterdam at uh, 4,000? Fly over Amsterdam at 4,000 feet, confirm, you want? Yeah, that's what uh, we are requesting. Well, that's not possible, sir. It's not? No, it's not. You have to fly the SID. Kudos 1 Zulu departure. Okay, well... I was thinking because it was New Year. Yes, but then the whole MCM will wake up. Okay. Well, thanks anyway. <laughs> Next time you have to visit MCM when everything is open. I was thinking because it was New Year. Yeah, well, think again. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was apparently the middle of the night. It was, well, so it was like 10.25 p.m. 10.25 p.m., yeah. And this is when he was getting the yeah. calling for clearance, so probably we're going to be taken off for at least another, yeah, 11 o'clock or I after. I would the- love to have heard what uh, JFK controller would have said at that request. <laughs> I don't think they would have been as qu- quite as polite. <laughs> she sounded think- genuinely, like, amused yeah. and surprised, though. She was like, that's what yeah. you want to do? Confirm? <laughs> what? Yeah, I love that. That's brilliant. <laughs> fly over, yeah, the, her, the tone of her voice, fly over Amsterdam at 4,000 feet? What? <laughs> <laughs> Are you nuts? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, the whole nice Amsterdam try. will wake up. Nice try, Arrow, <laughs> Mexico. A little more charm next time. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking, it's, it's close by. Yeah, but there I mean, are... we're going to fly this departure, and that's kind of close. <laughs> so just we'll stay a little lower and yeah. a little bit closer. Right. What's the big uh, deal? Come on, nobody nobody sleeps in Amsterdam, right? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, the banana bar stays open all night. <laughs> I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. All right, uh, Liz. Do I have any time for anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, about four minutes. Left. Four minutes. Do the social meds and stuff. Yeah, I guess we've. I, don't think I guess it's time to wrap up, isn't it? Okay. Well, that's that's good because we now have some awesome feedback. Um, that we're just going to shift from this episode to the next. Um, Mark, who is a brand new listener, uh, David uh, writes in a um, an incident that happened to him uh, a while back, which is um, still relevant in today's world. Um, Joe was asking, this is very um, um, current events kind of thing. He was asking about timely. Thank you. Uh, about the speed of an airplane uh, doing a um, NFL uh, playoff uh, or a championship game charter from Kansas City to Buffalo and uh, their speed during this flight. He thought that was kind of odd. And um, Papa Tango, uh, Peter, uh, writes in and uh, talks about show, Peter. Tenerife, Tenerife and my 747 connection. I know. 
Uh, we'll have fun with that on the next show. <laughs> anyway, all that feedback and more uh, on the next show. So please stay tuned. Same bat time, same bat channel. Probably not the same bat time, but same bat channel mm. for sure. And uh, with that, uh, if you're uh, new to the show or you want to find out more information about our awesome community uh, and the crew and uh, more information about Plain Tales, merchandise, coffee fund, the APG library. If you're a reader and you like to you know, read books about aviation, an outstanding library uh, with recommendations and uh, managed by our librarian, Tiffany. That's all there on the website and more. So uh, please check that out at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Again, that's AirlinePilotGuy.com. And we're also on social media. Steph? Hey, we are on social media. You can find us on Twitter. We are at APG Crew. You can also find us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash AirlinePilotGuy. And I haven't done much with the Instagram recently, but we are also there, APG Crew. Um, but don't be a slacker. Perhaps join us on Slack if you're ah, so did you say Slack? Let's see. You know, I'm on the road here, so I don't I'm not sure if um Oh wait a minute. Hello. Hello, it's time for Slack. Okay, but I'm dripping wet. That's okay, just towel off and, and don't use all the towels because I have to have one for my shower in the morning. Alright. Come over here. Tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you, Hillel. He is such a dedicated guy. He just follows me around everywhere we go and record. And that's so awesome. Jeff, you've got to try these towels. Okay. Just leave one for me, please. <laughs> All right. All right. And uh, let's see. Anything else before we go? Uh, oh, yeah. Definitely something else before we go. We're going to congratulate and thank our wonderful producer director, Liz. Thanks, Liz. Great job. Toronto, Ontario, Canada, in the control room. Yeah, kind of. Keeping track and controlling everything as much as she can. We do appreciate her and all the work she does. <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> it's not like she's got she can pull the plug, is no. it? No. Thankfully, no. No, it's like actually, the boat with like a tiny one of those little tiny teacup things. <laughs> you know what though? She could she could actually just hit that button that says stop broadcast. I guess anybody I'm covering could. over it right now. <laughs> yeah, you told her. <laughs> she has the power. She does. She does have the power to pull the plug. Uh, well, God bless her. Thank you, you Liz. She'll do it one day, you know. <laughs> yeah, she probably will. Just for fun. And uh, with that, uh, wishing you all clear skies and unlimited visibility and favorable winds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all. Bye, everybody. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, 